Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's show was recorded on March 6th, 2017. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the man who should bring me some cleaning supplies. <laughs> Caffeine rage. And wait, 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 wait. Is there something I should know about this? I'll explain after the blurb, because on today's show we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played. Sean Murray talks Hello Labs and the No Man's Sky launch. We'll be discussing the launch of the Nintendo Switch. The GDC awards happen, and we're going to go through them. We'll have our weekly community corner. And Kyle gave us a little review of Civ 6. And as it's now a permanent segment, we're going to have our Steam Discovery queue for the week. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. How are you? Uh, good evening. You had some very Shatner-esque pauses there. Yeah, I was. I got distracted. I looked down at my keyboard, and I'm like, "This thing is covered in dust and something, and I should really clean it." And then I forgot what I was gonna call you this week, so I just said you should bring me some cleaning supplies. I'm not I gonna touch your keyboard with a ten foot pole because I, I know should've... it's been around you. I should have went with my little French maid. I'm. There's gotta I'm be not way falling to... for that one again. I'm not sure if this is some kind of faceplate or if I can actually pry the keys out to clean it, but I should do that. It's 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 dirty. Yeah, keyboards get very gross very quickly. I, yeah. I, I hesitate to even think what's in my keyboard because my keyboard's over a decade old. <laughs> yeah, it, it's well. Pr- probably if I clean it, I'm uh, eradicating it. It's a little micro-civilization that's started growing in that keyboard. <laughs> Yeah, I've had this keyboard for about two years, and I cleaned it once, but that was a long time ago, like at least a year, maybe longer ago, and um, I didn't take the keys out. I just bought like a little cleaning solution that you could put on the top of it, and it was like a gel, uh, but I actually need to pry, either pry the keys out or take, if this is some kind of cover, take the cover off. I don't know. It's dirty. Anyways, hi. You dirty, dirty man. I am a dirty, dirty boy. Dirty boy. Well, we already knew that, so yeah, that's not shocking news. Indeed. I think. <laughs> yeah, that's a good enough response. Good enough response. So, I debated about whether or not I should talk about this at the beginning of the episode or the end. Uh, give, give me your thoughts. Should I talk about my new job stuff now or at the end when we talk about our what's coming up for us? on our channels and stuff. Uh, let's go ahead and do it at the beginning, so if people want to skip it, they could just go to the next timestamp. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I got hired. Uh, yay. Woo! Uh, I'm going to be starting in... Well, I start training in two weeks to learn their computer system and uh, go through some basic safety stuff. And also how to go on the paper. Yeah, also how to go on the paper um, and to fetch the ball and bring it back properly. But anyway, so uh, in about four weeks is when I'll officially start this new job, and I'll be rotating out my time at the clinic where I'm at. I have to, I can't just leave all of my clients. It's unethical, and someone could, if they wanted to, um, file a complaint, and I could lose my 
provisional license uh, for client abandonment. So the next few weeks are going to be spent uh, moving all my old clients and getting started at the new clinic. Uh, and then that time is going to be a little weird. The main reason I'm bringing this up, not just because like I'm happy, but also things are going to be a little weird for me for a little while because uh, we're going to be in yeah, the transition period. New. Well, weird in not the way that things are usually weird for me. Like normal people weird. Because uh, we're going to have to move. Uh, the clinic that I'm going to be working out of is uh, an hour away from my house. And I can make that commute for the short term. But in the long term, there's no way. So we're looking to move midsummer. Uh, we're just starting. I mean, we just started the process of finding a realtor and looking for houses and, you know, the price, finding one where the price is right and all that jazz. So uh, things also are going to be a little weird for yeah, yeah, we're we're good buddies. They do weird stuff on that show, so they hit me up every now and again. <laughs> Plus, um, they need to uh, consult you for all those psychological tricks that they use in their game shows. Yeah, <laughs> I w- I bet that whoever does that makes yeah, whoever, a shitload of money. Yeah, whoever designs those uh, has to have a lot of knowledge on psychology. Because yeah. there are a lot of really interesting little tricks on the pricing game song, The Price is Right. Yeah, but anyways, the main, like I said, the main reason is that things are going to be weird. So I'm going to, my primary focus is going to be the podcast and it, to make sure that that gets done every week. And then secondary is doing recordings with you, Rage, for your channel. And then third is going to be streaming. So if things are going to get, have to get dropped because I have a crazy week or a weird schedule or some client hiccup and I'm an hour away from home. Uh, that's the order things will get dropped in. So, so we're streaming. not going to be activating the B team just yet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we might have to call you guys in, uh, and we might add a couple extra to the B team. We'll just see how it goes. It's too early to know anything for sure, but I'm going ahead and just starting to prep, like, okay, if this is the worst, this is what it's going to look like. So the next month should be pretty much business as usual, and then sometime in April, maybe May, things might start getting a little bit weird depending on exactly when we move and when I'm pulling duty at two clinics, what that looks like. Because that also could be incredibly exhausting. But I'm hoping that by April I have, I'll have all of my clients at the, the university clinic given to other people uh, and then I can just shift fully into my, into my new job. Plus, you also have to translate all your notes of, you know, to, to the crack pots and the screwballs and, <laughs> uh, and you know, make them nah, actually somewhat professional looking. Nah, they're on their own with that. Actually, they are really, they're, they're, uh, there's a lot of state guidelines you have to meet when doing notes for, uh, for a clinic like that, that. Because uh, the university clinic gets inspected on a regular basis because it's a teaching clinic. So they have to meet an even higher standard than a non-teaching clinic to, to maintain all their certifications and their accreditation with uh, the various national accrediting agencies. So those are actually probably the nicest notes I'll ever take. No, 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 no. When I called this guy a uh, batshit insane, that's a typo. <laughs> Yeah. Effing uh, crazy doesn't mean what you think it means. Uh, it means fabulously crazy. <laughs> it's the new street language. Yeah. I got cred, yo. 
it's what the kids these days say. So yeah, that's like a brief glimpse into what's going to be happening. I'll give more details as I know them, but that's about as far as we've gotten. Uh, we've got our housing budget, and we're looking at a couple of uh, realtors. We're going to meet with them soon, probably after Katie gets back from her trip, and, and start the process of buying a house. Going to get to have an upgrade on a house. It's very exciting. Uh, when we got this house, uh, I mean, it was very tiny. Or it is very tiny, very inexpensive. And now we have some money. I mean, we don't have a lot of money, but we have some money. Well, look at so, it this way. Uh, now you get to look for a house that has something that you could acquire for a studio. Yeah. We're looking at at least a four-bedroom house. Uh, like our minimums is four-bedroom, two-bath because we need at least a shared office. So one bedroom for us, one bedroom for King, one bedroom for an office and one bedroom for that second kid that I still haven't convinced Katie to not have. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised she hasn't tried to recruit me on talking you into this. Well, I mean, we joke about it and I genuinely don't want a second kid, but it's not so much that I'm unwilling to have a second kid. We've actually seriously talked about going the adoption route uh, just to skip the the baby phase which i hate i hate babies absolutely hate babies they're terrible and that's the worst part of it for me it's like the first year <laughs> but we've talked about going the adoption route but adopting is so freaking expensive it's stupid it's so stupid that adoption is expensive but regardless we're looking at a four bedroom two bath house uh two bathroom house which where the area that we're looking to move into, you can actually find some houses like that surprisingly cheap, like $100,000 or so for a four-bedroom, two-bathroom house that doesn't look like it's ready to fall apart. Um, for anybody who wants to look up where we're going, uh, Dayton, Tennessee. Actually, we might move to Cleveland if we can find a house for the right price, but after just like some very preliminary scouting, I think Dayton is going to be the better Why place. Why would you go to Ohio if you're wanting to shorten your commute? Dayton, Tennessee. Famous for uh, the the court that did the Scopes Monkey Trial back in the, the 20s. And a very tiny college there. Oh, boy. I, I was about to say, Dayton, why does that sound so familiar? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually pretty neat. They recreate the trials every year uh, as like a, you know, a cultural historical thing. And I've went and watched it. It's fascinating. Yeah, and the oh, yeah, right in the heart of the Bible Belt too. Oh yeah, yeah, I would fit right in. <laughs> yeah, so that's how things are going for me. I'm pretty happy about it. It's gonna there's gonna be some stressful times for sure, but it's all good or mostly good. So enough about me. Let's talk about games. Well, if you really have to, I mean. After all, this is a gaming podcast, at least in theory. Yeah. Uh, to steal the line from Total Biscuit, welcome to the Video Game Logic podcast where we occasionally <laughs> talk about video games. Uh, we're going to get a copyright strike. Nah. <laughs> okay. Well, I have two uh, games that I played for a very short period of time uh, for actually very different reasons. And they're. Just looking at the screenshots, they look very similar, but they're not. Uh, the first one is Infector, 
or Infector, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Infector. Uh, well, last week I talked about a mobile port and actually really praised it. This is the opposite side of things where it's a mobile port that's as lazy as fucking possible. And also it's a very visually busy game. Which doesn't really work well on PC. Mm-hmm. Because you, uh, on a phone, you're able to see the entire screen very easily. You know, there's no flicking, uh, you're uh, yeah, looking back and forth uh, to see everything. But on uh, a PC, you have a, a little bit of peripheral vision going on, at least with a decent size monitor. You see, right. you see where I'm coming from with this. So, uh, when you have a lot of visual noise, you're looking all over the place and you're not really paying attention to what you're really doing. And Infector has so much noise, and it's very fast-paced on top of it. What it is, is essentially... It reminds me a lot of... Well, depending on where you come from, either Osmos... Or the first level of Spore, which is essentially the same thing, actually. Only difference is a uh, character creator. Yeah, it does look an awful lot like the Amoeba stage of Spore. Now that you mention it. Yeah, and it's kind of the same basic idea where you're going around, you're avoiding uh, the well, uh, antibodies, but in Spore they'd be your predators while trying to, well, at least in the early game. I didn't get very far in it because it's so fast-paced. It doesn't have tooltips, which is just utterly damning. And the thing is, it's also a class-based uh, game, kind of, where... The different viruses that you can play as, or microbes, or whatever you want to call it, have very different attributes, but it doesn't tell you what they do. Right. So it's either play a bit as each one, or you can go to the Steam Greenlight page and find out exactly what they do, because it lists them there, because that is really, really convenient. Seems like a good place to put it not yeah it's one of those games that I'm assuming that it does a lot better on mobile just because of the uh, the nature of the game to begin with you know it is a very pick up and play play for a level or two and then put it down yeah but on PC those games don't tend to do all that well it's kind of like why I kind of sort of maybe like Hearthstone a bit as a bubble game, but not really as a PC game, because I'll pick it up and play it, play a match, or you know, play the tavern brawl and then put it down. Yeah, but for, but to me, a PC game has a lot more of a staying power than you know, ten fifteen minutes. It's a half hour, hour that sort of thing. Right. So that's Infector. It it really really needs a pass for uh, PC uh, quality. Or, or PC features. The fact that they don't have tooltips. And there's a lot of things there. It's just trial and error trying to figure out what the hell they do when they really shouldn't be. I should be able to figure out... Or you should be able to tell me, I should say, what I'm paying to unlock with the research points that you get. They're, they're called something in the game and I didn't really pay enough attention to... Uh, 
remember what they are because, like I said, it's a very noisy game. So there's so much going on that's a little hard to pay attention to uh, exactly what they were calling different things. But it's research points, essentially. You pick up a few at each level and you get a few for uh, winning the level. Right. And for the first uh, five levels, you only get something like 30 and the research items you get uh, that you could unlock are 500 and a thousand research points, but they don't tell you what they are. You just have to kind of try to guess from the icon. Just terrible. That doesn't really have a lot of usability. That's what I'm saying. Right. So let's go to the other one that's pure utilitarian that absolutely drove me insane because of the music on it. Oh. And okay. that would be Energia? 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 I think. I don't well, let's just put it this way. This is a single developer game uh, made by a programmer, and you could really tell <laughs> by its uh, art style. It's very, very basic, and he doesn't try to polish it at all. And there's a lot of weird things about it. One, option menus. Fuck you. We don't re- need option menus. You want to uh, play in Windowed mode? <laughs> uh <laughs> Oh, I'm blanking on the name of the game. There was a Flash-based game that this is essentially the idea of, where you have a power node and you connect, uh, and you're running the power grid, essentially, for a uh, tower defense game. And there's a version of it on Steam that... You know what I'm talking about, right? Where you're pushing back the, uh, kind of the encroaching creep? Um, Evil Pollution? No, 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 no. It's... I don't think it's that. Oh, I should have looked this up because it's going to bug me now. Uh, I'll try to type and uh, talk at the same time. It's... This is a very, very utilitarian game. But the thing is that the... What drove me absolutely insane about it was the uh, music on it. Because it had predominantly three notes. It was essentially the same three notes over and over and over again. It was kind of like Chinese water torture. You know, it's not so bad at first, and, you know, after about 15 minutes, you're uh, crying and wanting your mommy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. It's about like that. And that's a real shame, because gameplay-wise, it was pretty good. They threw a lot of interesting things in very quickly. Uh, On the third level, I think it was. What what, what it is, is I should say what it is first, it is a, essentially a tower defense game where you're, it's all base building and you're running the power grid between different nodes. You have your home node, which you have to protect, and you have places that you can put down uh, essentially power reactors. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you have uh, t- uh, towers that you can build. And with a power node that goes between them to kind of link them together. Right. And you have a limited amount of materials uh, that uh, replenish over time, so you can't just spam buildings. And things have to be linked to your power grid initially to be built but uh, and to be pa- uh, powered. But once they're uh, built, uh, they just have to be powered. So you could lose a node and have your grid segregated. 
as long as it has a reactor on it, and then the different uh, towers use power at different rates. You know, mm-hmm. if, uh, if you have a tower that's shooting constantly, it's going to drain a, a reactor that's uh, connected to you solely. But if it's connected to your entire grid, it's going to draw from all your reactors. And right. um, they do a lot of interesting things with it. Uh, in the third level, they have it where you put down your initial towers to uh, build your uh, initial reactors. And then the uh, sections of the uh, level start rotating. <laughs> So you have huh. to de- so you have to deal with this rotating, almost uh, like a dual turntable like scenario as enemies come in uh, from the sides. It's really really fascinating, and I could get past the really really crappy art style. I could get past the fact that okay, it's locked at fifty FPS for some reason. Don't ask me why, but it's one of those things that you could tell that it's uh, built by a programmer. To run a specific way and no way other. Uh, to give you an idea, if you click on the buttons to build units, it says use the hotkeys or uh, faster. It won't allow you to actually click on the button. It just uh, prompts you to use the hotkey. Right. And also, up. The, the, sorry, the, the English is a bit iffy. I, I'm not sure where this guy's from, but it's. It, it he's either you know, uh, purposely making his English not all that great, or English is a second language, which is uh, kind of my bet. Yeah, well, Energia is, uh, and that is how you pronounce it, is Italian. Uh, it, I mean, it's the Italian word for energy. That seems pretty straightforward. Yeah. So I'm currently trying to find what the standard hertz or monitor refresh rate yeah, is for my, my Italy. My bet would be fifty. It probably is, but so yeah, it's just and yeah, English that, is probably a second language. Yeah, it was just uh, in the few levels that I played uh, because I realized that I would have been dri- driven absolutely bonkers by this game because to do a video proper on it, I would have uh, had to have the music in it and comment on it. And playing the game for 15 or 20 minutes while trying to ignore the music would just drive me just completely crazy. <laughs> right, yeah. Which was a shame because I actually liked the gameplay of it. I, I could, Like I said, I could get past ugly in games as long as it, you know, it kind of makes sense. And I could understand that this is a programmer making a game and not you know, someone that's trying to really polish the art. Granted, if he gave it an art pass where he spent a little bit more time on the art. Because it looked like all the art assets were put together in five minutes. I mean, all the art a- assets. Yeah. Maybe they were. Or maybe, like, why it's so bare bones is he's not an artist. He's well, a programmer uh, or something. Well, well, that's the thing. Even if you're not an artist, you can make, you know, decent-looking icons. I mean, they're, they're triangles, they're circles you can make them look a little bit better. Right. Hell, the power of Drop Shadow uh, really uh, helps out making things pop. (laughs) And that's uh, just a plug-in. Oh, I think I remembered what the uh, name of it was. It was Creeper World. That's what I was thinking of. I've never heard of Creeper World. 
Well, take a look at a screenshot of Creeper World and tell me that this isn't uh, uh, at least uh, take an inspiration from it. Creeper World. Look up Creeper World 3. Uh, I think that's actually the one on Steam. Steam. Creeper World. Yeah, Creeper World uh, 3, Arc Elemental. Yeah, take a look at uh, how the thing is built, where it's a grid uh, connected to a central power core, and you have uh, turrets around you uh, pushing back uh, creep. Yeah. I, I was sitting here trying to think of it, and it's like, damn it, I, I know it was something world, I know it was something world. Creeper world, there you go! This looks it. This odd. looks like a... It, uh, there's a, a lot of, uh, there was uh, two versions of it on uh, Flash on, I believe it was on Congregate. I'll put that on my wish list. If it gets cheap enough, I would check it out. Yeah, I do believe it gets pretty cheap whenever it's on sale. But it's one of those games that, uh, it looks odd, but there's a lot more going on than what you would think. And uh, and energy uh, it feels like a, a shallower version of it. Not to say that's a bad thing, because they do throw a lot of interesting things uh, gameplay-wise. It's just, I, I wish he went to uh, Incomputech.com and got a, a couple of music files. <laughs> yeah. Well, who knows? He might. Looks like its historical low is uh, on Steam, a buck fifty. And that was a couple of sales ago, so I mean that's plenty cheap enough for me to check this out. I'd get it for five bucks. Just it looks neat. Yeah, the, Creeper World that is not Energia. Although Energia looks neat too. That's the thing is that Energia it looks like a cheap knockoff, but it does enough different, and they don't really show that it does enough different because they don't really highlight the fact that okay. Every level, they're going to throw something really different at you. Like, the second level, they forced you to uh, segregate your power grid. So, you're dealing with two, well, actually, four different sections of a power grid, and you're trying to build out. Another level, you had to uh, build up and uh, take out this uh, yellow block. You know, the enemy building, or they call it the yellow box, but whatever. But around it are uh, enemy spawners, and you have to uh, try to fight them off at the same time. And there are also uh, the enemy spawners, which can be killed, by the way, are protecting extra reactor points. And the reactors can only built on, be built on these essentially, uh, uh, well, reactor points. So let's just call them geyser points or whatever, you know, some sort of uh, place where only the energy can be generated there. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else they did and just the handful of levels that I played. It's a game that there should be an option to mute the volume, or mute the music, and there isn't. You have to go through the Windows Mixer. <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah. Uh, it's does it just, have other sound effects? Uh, it's, it's just the music. It's It does have other sound effects, but they're very, very basic. And uh, I'm pretty sure that he made them himself because uh, they're very, like I said, very basic. He could he could spend an afternoon going to a a copyright or sorry a 
just a uh, copy. Oh, sorry, a royalty-free music site. Grab me a couple soundtracks there, and uh, maybe go to Free Sound and uh, get a, a couple sound effects. And he would make his game so much better. It's just presentation. The gameplay is there. Presentation sucks. Right. And unfortunately, this is a visual medium. This is an audio medium. So those points really do matter. And if you make your game to the point where it's ear rape, (laughs) (laughs) it's going to turn people off. Right. And I'm actually shocked I'm uh, talking about this for this long. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you've pretty much sold me on the game except for the music. So... I probably will follow it for a little while and see if it gets updated with some changes like that. It's not listed as an early access game. Yeah, it's a complete uh, release. But the thing is that part of my problem is the fact that I was going to record this. So I couldn't just mute the music because that's part of the experience. If you play it, you could easily mute the music. And there goes one of my major complaints about it. Right. So it's one of those things that I'm in a privileged position and I'm complaining about it because I'm in a privileged position because I'm trying to give the complete experience of a game. Right. I know. How dare I? Yeah. How dare you give a good and full review and criticism of the game? Uh, Yeah. I'll follow it for a while and see if the music changes. And I mean, it's super cheap. It's only two bucks. Yeah. I would say that it's worth picking up if you don't mind muting it and uh, just... uh, uh, playing your own music in the background because it does have some, at least in the, like I said, in the handful of levels I played, it threw a lot of interesting things. And if they could continue doing that uh, throughout the, I think it's supposed to be 50 levels, then it would be well worth two bucks. Yeah. Cool. All right. So what else you play? Boy, it's really weird that I bash a game for that long and I'm selling it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, last game I played, I picked up Robocraft, or I should say I picked it back up, because I played it, I would, I want to say something like two years ago, I played it when it was in very early alpha. Yeah, as did I. Boy, has it come a long way. Yeah, it's recently went to full beta, and I went into it because I got a uh, code from Rock Paper Shotgun for a few crates, and they went to a, a, a crate system, a keyless crate system, I might add. For their block drops. And it's interesting. Uh, the thing is that they're they're selling their premium. Uh, uh, and what it does is it doubles the amount of things you get out of the crate. So that's you know, where they're making their money on that. And premium also gives a few other features. Like, uh, well, let's put it this way. They would sell you on premium almost instantly for one thing. What? With premium, you can paint your robots pink. <laughs> oh, maybe. Maybe. But the thing is that their premium is essentially a subscription fee. You could buy it for a day or a week or a month. But they do have a lifetime premium thing, but that is 40 bucks. And to me that's quite a, or, or quite a bit. Actually, I think the 40 is a, a discounted price right now. Yeah, it's 20% off right now at at 40 bucks. I mean that's not too bad. I mean that's basically the price of a of a retail game if you really like it. Um, yeah, well, I should go into what Robocraft is. Robocraft is 
Well, at least how it is now. It used to be very MOBA-esque. And I think the MOBA-esque mode uh, is still there. I've been playing the Battle Arena, though. The 5v5 Team Deathmatch. First to 25 kills wins. And what's interesting about it is that it's essentially Minecraft vehicle battles where you're building the crafts out of blocks, uh, squares, triangles, uh, uh, different wheels, that sort of thing. They did take away the different armor levels, which is interesting. It, it makes it so that, you know, you're not constantly re- rebuilding your, uh, crafts though, which is, uh, which is what I like because that's kind of what turned me off before was, uh, you would level up your armor abilities. You had this giant tech tree. As you leveled up your tech and got access to higher level armors, you were essentially rebuying the same blocks and rebuilding your uh, somewhat successful vehicles over and over again, just with higher level blocks. Right. Well, now they have it where all the blocks are a static level. And the only real upgrades I noticed were different weapons had different levels, but also the higher level weapons had were a lot larger. So you would have to have a physically larger vehicle to build it and to use it. And I will say that my old uh, flatbed uh, uh, laser uh, uh, tank actually does somewhat well again. <laughs> yeah, I downloaded it uh, and intended to play it this weekend, which, but I didn't get a chance to. Uh, but this game is going to be the game we play Friday. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you may want to tweet that out early. I've got so a tweet. People... I've got a tweet scheduled on Tweet Deck. Okay, uh, it'll tweet in the morning. Okay, because there is a build-up time for it. If you pardon the Turner phrase, <laughs> and I'm not sure of what the new player experience is because I came in, and my old account was level 26. And every time you level up, you get essentially a, uh, a epic level crate that has a high chance of getting rares and above. And, yeah. uh, and different level crates, you get a different uh, amount of things. But it's always you get uh, half the crate if you're a free player, and then the other half if you're a pre- paid premium player. Which uh, I could kind of see that, you know, they have to make their money somewhere. And the thing is that they aren't cutting you out of items. You are still able to get everything, from what I can tell. There's nothing that's completely paid which is actually a bit of a rarity for these games even the cosmetics let's put it this way I got a Japanese cosmetic flag in one of my crates and most other free to play games that would be a paid cosmetic yeah all the flags in uh, for example uh, War Thunder are like 500 golden lions which is like I think 3 bucks yeah I got Let's see, I've gotten a Japanese, I've gotten a Belgium, and I want to say a French flag? I can't I can't recall if it's a French flag for the third one, but I know definitely Belgium. Don't ask me why I got a Belgium flag, or don't ask me why I got a Japanese flag, it's just, you know, luck of the draw. And yeah. uh, the thing is that you do get these items very quickly, every match you get a crate. And depending on your performance in the match, the level of crate you go get gets upgraded. So if you do absolutely crappy, you get a bronze crate that has, uh, I think, six items in it. Free players get three. Uh, paid players get six. 
Uh, silver gets upgraded uh, to what, four and four. Then gold, I think, has just a higher chance. And it just it continues uh, progressing to platinum and then the whenever your account levels up, which seems to be uh, the Overwatch style of it's not a, uh, you know, level one is so much experience. Level two is more experience. Level three is more experience. It seems to be very consistent on the level ups, except at least what I've played so far. You get the epic level crate that has the high chance of getting rares and above. And you do get these things very quickly. And you're able to take the items that you don't want or your spares and reforge them into essentially currency to buy whatever you want. So there is a quick way to get at least the very basic items. Nice. Just like, like I said, I'm not sure what the new player experience is. I haven't tried that yet. It I may look- start over because I'm I was pretty low level, maybe five or six. Um, so I, I might just start over. And then I can report on that next week. Yeah, it does look like... Well, if you play the tutorial, you also get one of the high-level crates uh, as a reward. It does look like uh, the tutorial gives you the robot that you build in it, and it's a walking mech. Yeah. And that is one thing I really like, is that there's a lot of different but uh, locomotions in this game. There's there's uh, full-blown airplanes, there's blimps, there's hover blades, there's uh, walking mechs. There's tank treads, there's wheels, and they all had their advantages and disadvantages. Yeah. I think all there was when I played was you could build planes, there were wheels and treads, and I think that was it. Um, Uh, Well, when I stopped playing, they added the mech legs. They had just started adding them, and there's two different varieties right now, and that's not including the levels because... As you level up the items, like I said, they get bigger. So uh, the uh, low-level mech legs are these little scrawny things, and you have the epic-level legs that look like they belong uh, in Mech Warrior. Nice. It is kind of funny, though, because it seems like the mechs run a lot faster than what the legs are intended to, so they're kind of just uh, almost running in place. But it is in a beta state right now, and everything is getting balanced still. Probably my biggest complaint about the game is that it is so dependent on the skill of your other players. More so than I would say a lot of other games. If you get a player that came in with an absolutely crap bot, at least on the uh, team battle uh, thing, you are in a lot of trouble. I lost uh, a few matches just because someone came in with a bot that was just absolutely useless, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, they didn't test it and it didn't perform like they were expecting it to. I saw one guy that had his blimp flip because he uh, had it too top heavy. <laughs> Fun. I mean, why did go test it? Uh, there is a testing mode uh, where it, you know, you're able to drive around and shoot at targets. I know, that's what I'm saying. Why didn't he test it? He would have known that it would flip over. Yeah, I guess. Plus, it's a plus. That's a loading screen. Yeah. Or maybe he, you know, uh, was tweaking the design and tweaked it a little too far. I don't know. I will say that it looks like building uh, flyers are very is very difficult. You need a certain set of parts. But it 
shouldn't be that hard to get the parts, but it's also the thing that if you're building an airplane, if your wing gets shot off, you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, they did add one other thing that is interesting is that there's a region mechanic. A region kind of makes, mechanic? That kind of makes the uh, healers that used to be really important in the game, uh, at least in the in the basic uh, 5v5 deathmatch, a lot less useful. If you don't take damage for 10 seconds, you start regenerating health. Oh, regen. I thought you said regen, as in like region of the world or whatever. No, no, regen as in regeneration. Okay, I got you. So it, That there, makes a lot more sense. <laughs> well, I'm sure that there's a region mechanic as well. You know, you don't want someone in Asia uh, playing uh, uh, someone in the U.S. I mean, the pings would be terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Uh, but it does make it so that if you're if you have a little fast guy and you're able to escape, and it does seem like the bots are a lot more uh, robust than they used to be. But then again, that may be just the leveling out of armor. Yeah. Th then uh, if you're able to hide for ten seconds, you uh, reach in your bot pretty quickly. I would say within five seconds, you could get your entire health back. Which, as your health uh, replenishes, the uh, blocks that were shot off uh, regenerate. Hence, regen, not region. Right. <laughs> so there is an element of... Uh, uh, it makes it so that hit-and-run uh, tactics are a lot more useful than they were in the early alpha when I played. Because if you tried that in the early alpha when I originally played, you know, you lose a wheel, you know, you're dead. Yeah. You know, you may be able to limp away for a bit, but, you know, it severely limits your usefulness. But now if you limp away and able to hide behind a... Uh, that building or something, you're able to get that wheel back after 10 seconds and uh, motor on. Yeah. Used to, I would, uh, basically every design I made looked similar to the, the striker, the, which is the U S army's, um, sort of combat ready APC, mm -hmm. which has got like armor cages and stuff that surround the wheels. That way you could survive getting shot at and run away. Because your wheels wouldn't get shot off. Yeah. At least not immediately. You bought yourself an extra 10 or 15 seconds. Yeah, granted, my bot has a, a, an armored skirt around it, uh, around its wheels. But it's also very flat. Yeah. But it, uh, it's flat, but it has three levels of uh, guns on it. So it's able to uh, dish out a fair amount of damage, actually. And it's really good against uh, flying enemies because, you know, tilt up and, you know, all those guns come to bear. Right. I was actually surprised at how well it does in the current meta, but it is also a beta, so, uh, you know, things can change, and they have multiple times. I'm actually also a little shocked at just how populated the game is still. Usually these games kind of just fall off after a while. Yeah. And last time I checked, there were something like 5,000 players, which is absolutely massive for uh, a little... I'm not sure if you'd call this indie, but, you know, a lesser-known uh, multiplayer game. Because I don't think Robocraft is really on the, the lips of a lot of people. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll be sure to play it this week, one, to get ready for streaming it on Friday, and two. Because, I mean, it it's changed a lot, and it looks way better than yeah, let's put it, this it was when back I, in the when day. When I got the code, I thought, eh, you know, I'll look at it. Maybe it's changed a little. And it's like, holy shit, this has changed a lot. <laughs> yeah. 
I was shocked at just how much it changed. I knew they added the crate system, which I was dubious about, which I still am just because I don't know if those four lock slots, if there's a higher chance that they generate, uh, epics or something. I will say that I have gotten a lot of, uh, good items in my free slots though. So, uh, if it is weighted towards the lock slots, uh, having the good items, I haven't noticed it yet. But it's also a, still a fairly small sample size. Yeah. But they've also changed it so much that a lot of the old videos that you see online are essentially useless. Yeah. You need, you, you need uh, videos in, that were made in like the last month to be even relevant. Yeah. A lot of games are that way, actually. Not to get too tangential, but uh, a lot of games, not going th- in the kind of early access and... Uh, I would say this is a gaming generation. That's a thing for a lot of games. Yeah, but nothing I've seen uh, even remotely close to this. I mean, this has completely changed its playstyle at least three times that I could think of. Yeah. I mean, because, you may uh, be right there, but that is certainly something that comes up for a lot of originally games. Originally, it was almost pure capture point. Then they added the towers that you had to shoot the crystals off of, which I'm not sure if it's still there or not. I've been playing the other game mode because I was. Still, uh, I'm at the point where I'm trying to uh, get uh, get extra parts to build a, a good second craft. Maybe a sniper, I don't know. I'm uh, going to see what weapons I get first. Because that's what really is going to be the limiting factor is what weapons you get and what uh, extra blocks you get to reforge into weapons. Yeah. So, I, w- I was trying to build up uh, my uh, weapon count and it seems like the basic mode is the faster one because it's only I want to say 10 minutes uh, I know it has a timer on it because uh, but only one match I've had uh, actually went to the timer and that was because uh, they had two of the five on the enemy team disconnect so the uh, enemy tried hit and run tactics which is very smart I don't blame them for that but yeah. uh, one of them was a flyer and he would just uh, get shot down repeatedly. <laughs> and that's, uh, that. like I said, that's where the individual skill really is important and uh, the individual bots is really important because if you have someone that just uh, dies really easily, that they built a very small, very fragile thing, they're just going to make it so that you lose. There's no way really around it. So that's where right. it can be a bit frustrating. But I would imagine that's a lot better with a uh, you know a fixed group, you know people that go in uh, complimenting each other, right? Or even that run a similar design, <laughs> you know that, that is pretty good, right? Okay, is uh, that all for Robocraft yeah. for now at least? Yeah, I think so. I guess we'll see Friday what you think of it. Right. Awesome. Well, that means it's time for my games. But before that. We need to take a break. Katie just got home. Uh-oh. She went to go hang out with some friends and did some Time grocery for that shopping. Kid. <laughs> See you in five. She did some she did some grocery shopping that I went and forgot about, so she needs to bring in the groceries. So uh let's just take a quick break and I'm I'm gonna go help her. Alright, well I'm gonna go get my last coffee. And we are back from Breakland. To you, dear listener, 10 seconds of elevator music passed. To us, it was a half an hour. 
Uh, that right? I don't think it was that long. 47 to 115. Granted, Almost I've a half se- an hour. Granted, I've been sitting here listening to Viking Death Metal. Katie's making crying faces at me because I'm slightly complaining. But it's all good. Uh, we started a half an hour early, so it all just evens out, I guess. Yeah, t- 10.30 is to do 11. Yeah, so it would seem. Anyways, uh, so now it's on to my games for this week. I have three, although it won't take very long to go through them. Uh, first up is Kerbal Space Program. Uh, talked about it last week, and not too much to add to it this week, aside from I've gotten a little bit farther. Uh, you know, I'm, I've landed Kerbals on Mun and Minmus, and am sending missions to Duna, always the, the first target after Kerbin. Uh and, uh, yeah, so far none of my skills have atrophied. I still haven't put together a space station. I feel like the tech tree has been reorganized a little bit. I could be misremembering, but I feel like it's taken me longer to get to the space station parts than it used to. So I'm getting ready to put my first station together, but that's a pretty decent chunk of time to do that. And I uh, just, like I said, with all the stuff going on this past week, I haven't really had a chance to sit down and just play. So I've been putting that off. Um... So, other than that, I sat down with my kid and showed him KSP, now that he's a little bit older than the last time I tried to show it to him, last year. Um, and I mean, he's not, like, this story is not, wow, my kid can play Kerbal Space Program like a grown-up. <laughs> uh, he calls it the Rocket Game. And well, he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. Uh, and his favorite thing to do in the Rocket Game is to uh, crash rockets into the ocean. And you say that he's not playing it like a grown-up? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, we'll he'll sit down and he'll watch me play, and I'll tell him, like, okay, we're going to make a rocket that can do this, and this is our mission. We're going to orbit, going to the mine, whatever. He's like, okay. And so I'll talk through everything that we're doing. I'll tell him, like, we're putting on this part, and this is what it does, uh, and this part, and this is what it does. And my this is bit. what we jettison and it hits a further down the rocket and causes it to explode. Yeah. So I did. I forgot a parachute uh, for the Uh-oh. the pod. Well, I, and I caught it just before I went to launch. I was like, oh, I should probably put a parachute on so it doesn't crash. And he goes, that's a good idea, Daddy. <laughs> yes, son, it is. But then we go to launch the rocket and like he like, you know, I'm explaining stuff to him. Like he, you know, hopefully he absorbs some of it and it's not all just wasted breath because, you know, some of the stuff is a little complex for a three-year-old, but, you know. Well, if I'm the talking... pony uh, points to the ground, you're not going to space today. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like talking him through things. I'm like, okay, when we launch, we're going to do this and that's going to take us out over the ocean. And he goes, the ocean? Yeah. I want to crash into the ocean. <laughs> So of course I have to crash into the ocean for him a few times, and then we uh, poor Jeb. Then we tried to make a submarine, um, and that didn't go so well. And then he lost interest in the game because that took like an hour, and that's about as big as his attention span is. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the rocket game, and he likes to crash things into the ocean. We went into space. We uh, I was launching some new uh, communication satellites. And uh, we went to space, and we launched the satellites, and and uh, he was really impressed with space, and he was like, "That's so cool!" And then he and then immediately, "Can we crash into the ocean?" <laughs> no, I'm not going to crash the satellite into the ocean, but we can go build a plane or something and crash that into the ocean. 
So we had fun. No, now you need to show them how you crash on the moon. <laughs> now we're yeah, going to try to land on the boom. Yeah, I did do that actually. I crashed on the moon. Intentionally or unintentionally? Unintentionally. I uh, I misread Kerbal Engineer, and I did not give myself enough TWR. Whoops. So I couldn't slow down, and I slammed into the mun, uh, going really fast. But I've got Kerbal Response turned on, so Jeb came back after a couple hours. Yeah, Jeb just crawls out of the wreckage, uh, and starts up his jetpack, and just starts the long process back home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, actually, I saw a comic uh, explain that's how Kerbals respawn. <laughs> They just give the orange suits a good enough jetpack to get back home. Yeah. Um, I will. I did actually go poke around in the options menu because I started a career mode game just to check out the career mode as well, and I didn't get very far because, you know, not enough time to play. But uh, in the advanced options, which I assume it's in all the modes, but I just noticed in career, you can mess with the, um, the transmission settings and uh, set it where that, for example, if your probe isn't connected, you can't control it. Uh, and you can disable all of the extra uh, comm locations on Kerbin, so yeah. you only have the space center and your comm satellites as opposed to the extra places on the ground. So, yeah, that's my pretty problem. Neat. Yeah, my problem with that is that that's a very remote tech option, mm-hmm. but they don't have the flight computer that remote tech has, at least as far as I know. And the thing with remote tech is that if your probe has to do a maneuver while it's outside a communication range. You could program it to do the maneuver by itself. You could just sit there and watch it uh, do everything. You can't do that in the base game as far as I know. They may it's, have changed that. but It's got three options. Uh, two of them are pretty self-explanatory. I'm not sure what the third option is. So there's full control when not connected to the comm network. There's no control when not connected to the comm network. And then there's partial control. And I don't know what partial control does. Well, it makes it so you can only partially control. Well, yeah, obviously, but, you know, like, what? Can you activate parts? Can you only pilot what? Uh, if, if memory serves, you can't use the throttle. You can't do uh, uh, altitude uh, rotation. Uh, but you can enable and disable uh, uh, antennas and uh, solar panels and that sort of thing. If memory serves me correctly. I remember reading about that. That would make sense, because it's like the default action of the probe would be to extend the antenna so that it can contact the space center. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, just anything except for direct flight controls, you know? Right. Your throttle and your um, maneuvers. Right. It's what I think it is. I mean, I could be wrong on that. I'll have to test it. I might do that this week. I don't know. Um, One thing I do like is that there's the occlusion for the base games of remote tech where if you're close to the MUN, the MUN will uh, block signals. But if you're at Duna, the MUN won't block signals. Right. I, I really like that because in remote tech, at least it used to be, I imagine that they're using the base game system now, or at least I would hope so. Uh, it was all essentially a laser beam. If you were even partly blocked, uh, you know, that little speck of dust in the distance as mun would uh, completely block your signal. And that's not realistic. 
Right. Yeah, I'm playing with... Cause you can mess with the settings, Matt. You can turn it off, on. You can change the sensitivity of it. Um, but, I mean, it doesn't really matter for me because I, I, I have this thing where I just like comm satellites. So I've got way too many. Uh, I've got four around Kerbin. Have you adapted to my play style where the uh, spent rocket stages become an extra satellite? <laughs> yeah, I've actually I actually started doing that. I've got four around the Mun, or not around Mun. I've got four around Kerbin. I've got three around the Mun. I've got two around Minmus. I've got one that's on the very edge of Kerbin's SOI. And a partridge uh, and a pear tree. I've got uh, like six now, just orbiting. The sun. I mean, granted, uh, you know, it doesn't make for pretty comm networks, but it makes for redundancy. Exactly. I'd rather it be have super redundancy as opposed to just being like perfect. And like, I mean, and, they're not in like geosynchronous orbit or yeah. anything like that. I don't. Yeah, that's generally, too much effort. Yeah, generally, what I would do with my comm networks, granted, I haven't played since they put in the base game uh, comm uh, network. Yeah. So everything was based around trying to set up a comm network with direct communication to the uh, KSC, and I had to have line of sight with the KSC with a satellite. There was nothing this, you know, extra uh, com, uh, s- uh, site business. I'd put one satellite in geosynchronous orbit directly above the KSC and build everything around that one satellite. <laughs> yeah, I, I went, because you can go and you can modify the options in-game. I actually went and turned off all of the extra comm sites so that I only have the KSC. And if you cover it with four satellites that are roughly evenly spaced apart, uh, you always have at least one satellite that is uh, within line of sight of the space center. And then well, if you're the geos- other satellites can talk to each other. Well, if you're in geosynchronous orbit, you're able to uh, get it with three, but there's less margin for error. Yeah. At least with remote tech. I should say that I haven't played with the base game's version of remote tech. I'm... With remote tech and the proper antennas, you can do it with three. But the thing is that the uh, the little uh, antenna that you know you get slapped on the side of the rocket and it doesn't break uh, the remote tech version of it, it cannot communicate to a satellite in geosynchronous orbit. So what I would do is usually have my geosynchronous uh, inner circle, and then I'd have a couple of satellites just skimming just above the atmosphere. <laughs> For those uh, uh, rovers that have the antennas that, um, you know, I don't want to snap off because my I would build essentially two classes of rover. I would have my little slow crawlers that would uh, gather science eventually. And then I'd have, well, I called it the Roadrunner. Even though, you know, it's a little bit of a misnomer because there's no such thing as roads in Kerbin. Right. But I was using airplane parts, and I was using the electric propellers <laughs> uh, from uh, uh, one of the airplane packs. Yeah. And I made essentially an airboat. <laughs> nice. Uh, it had uh, uh, just a uh, airplane fuselage, a couple uh, nose cones on either end, just to make it look pretty. The standoff uh, long uh, uh, landing gear, and an electric propeller on the back, and it was lined with uh, the static uh, solar panels and a couple batteries. And that actually was a very effective rover. Moved like nice. a bat out of hell as well. <laughs> because that electric uh, propeller was damn overpowered for something that sized and that weight. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So yeah, that's it for KSP for me for this week. Next week, I'll I'll probably have a couple of stories and some weird stuff because I'm gonna, we, like I I've said a bunch of times with Katie being gone, I am gonna play a bunch of games. Yeah, so. weird stuff when Katie's not around. Nah. <laughs> so uh, so the next game on my list is Super Tank Rumble. This is a little mobile game uh, that l- you build your own tank. Um, a la, like, you know, parts that connect and, um, you know, you can do silly stuff with it. You can try and build serious tank designs and stuff like that. Uh, it's got a, a, it's free to play. It's not got too terrible of a business model. Um, you unlock everything based on experience that you get from playing the campaign missions, which I'm not sure how, how many there are. I've only done like four or five of the campaign missions. And then, um, you get experience for doing multiplayer battles, regardless of whether you win or lose, and that's how you unlock the parts. Um, you can purchase uh, the part packs, which contain the different levels of parts for money if you want to get them all at once. Uh, and then you can purchase uh, ad removal, which I think is two ninety nine. Um, and then you can purchase cosmetics. So you can. I guess you can buy, now that I think about it, I guess you can buy power, but the your tank gets a level, so based on the parts that you have on your tank, it, it groups you into your level, so technically you could buy power, but if you build so a really strong pay tank... To skip. Yeah, it's pay to skip. Pay to skip. Um, the campaign is pretty good. It pits you against, so far, just various different types of tanks. I mean, the campaign is really more of a training mode. Um, this looks interesting. It's it's kind of funny how I had a uh, well, a building game with battle, and you have a building game with battle. Yeah, it's a cute little game. I do have one problem with it though. Uh, the controls for the tank are terrible. Oh boy! Um, it's got two buttons on the screen. I mean, you know, touch screen, mm-hmm. uh, and one one of the or two sets of buttons, and one of the sets of buttons controls the turret, and one of the sets of the buttons controls the tank. Now you only are on a 2D field. So basically you go forwards or backwards. Um, and that's not too bad by itself. And controlling the turret is not too bad by itself, um, which the controls basically um, change the elevation of your turret so that it shoots farther. Mm-hmm. Uh, but trying to do both of them at the same time is actually kind of difficult because, of course, the other tank is moving around and shooting you, and then there are a few little enemies that come out, and you get little allies, too, like they're little soldiers, and then there's, like, a little technical truck that comes out sometimes, and they help you in battle, or, you know, the other team, they, they try and do extra damage to you. So trying to maneuver around with uh, and doing that and shooting at the same time is so difficult. So it's definitely not a game that would have been... It's something that could use a controller support. Yeah, uh, it does have auto drive. You can set auto drive, and your t- your tank basically just randomly drives backwards and forwards, which makes it a little bit easier. But it's not intelligent. It's literally just I'll drive a little bit backwards and then a little bit forwards. Back a bit, it, back a bit, forward, forward. And it kind of randomizes how far it drives each time, so that you don't get stuck in a pattern. But I mean, it's not intelligent, so it doesn't try and dodge uh, enemy tank shells or anything like that. So. Um, it's really more beneficial for you to control the tank because you can actively dodge shells because they they move slow enough that you can dodge them if you're far enough away when they shoot at you. I mean, if you're right next to them, you're going to get hit. But It's a cute, fun little game. I don't know if I'll keep 
playing it just because the controls are frustrating. I do um, wonder if it does have controller support because mm, that would be interesting. It might. I don't know, but if it did, I don't have a... Actually, the Wii U Pro Controller is Bluetooth. I've yeah, got a well, Wii U Pro Controller. A DualShock Controller. Yeah. That would actually really help, because, I mean, if you honestly could just use two joysticks to control, or one joystick would do it, the the movement of the tank and the gun, then it would be easy breezy. Or the other thing is you could get those stick-on uh, joysticks that work on the touchpad. Have you seen those? Uh, they, no. They look terrible. <laughs> I've seen I a couple of them. But, yeah, it's a cute little game. Cute game. Yeah, but... Bad controls, tanks, but no tanks. Uh, I see what you did there. Nice. Uh, the other game I played this week is Turret Fusion. This is a, an idle game, but instead of it being based around like clicking or something like that, uh, kind of the, the gimmick for this game is you uh, are given turrets every few seconds at the, the base level, and you drag the turrets together to form new combinations of turrets, and as you level up the turrets, uh, you move up in levels eventually to space, where and, and you're defending the Earth from aliens. So um, as you level up, eventually you get to the end and beat it. Uh, but it's got a, a, a very shallow but still kind of cute sci-fi story that goes with it. Like these aliens attack the planet, and you're the general in charge of defending the Earth. And you're also like some kind of super genius who can magically duct tape two turrets together to make a bigger one <laughs> or something. That part's never really explained. They're just like, you're the only one who can save us because you're the only one who can do this. And You uh, have the magic duct tape. And then when you get to the end, uh, it's got a reason why everything resets because it's, you know, obviously an endless clicker sort of game. Um, I mean, it's fun, you know, for killing like a couple of minutes. The art style actually is pretty neat. Um, given what type of game this is. Uh, and the the music's not too bad. Unfortunately, it is one song on an infinite loop, and it gets old after a while, but it, it lasted me for probably like 30 minutes before I had to turn the music down real low. Um, and the, Well, look at it this way. You lasted a lot longer than I did with that one game. <laughs> true. The, and it also has a, a good pay model. Um, it's got the pay-to-remove ads. Again, I think this one's only like a dollar or maybe a dollar ninety-nine. And then you can buy premium currency, which is it is just coins. Um, and the coins allow you to unlock stuff, um, most of which you can either get... Again, it's another pay-to-skip thing. Like, you can collect the materials in-game to upgrade. Yeah, which for to, this to I don't really understand because the entire point is to spend time with this game. Right, right. Um, and like I said, all the upgrades... Point, maybe it's just that, you know, I don't get these games. Yeah. I've tried well, a few of them. I've uh, actually gotten a review code for a few technically idle or clicker games on PC, which... Yo, an idle slash liquor game on PC makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. So maybe that's it. You know, I'm just looking at this as a PC gamer. It's like, why would you be playing this? Right. Yeah. I mean, basically, whenever I uh, open it on my phone, it's like, okay, I've got two minutes in between this this session and my next session. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll open uh, Turret Fusion. Uh 
So that's what the kids are calling it these days. Yeah. I'll open turret fusion. Fusion I'm going to go have a turret fusion. And, uh, and then, you know, put it down. Um, I just opened it now actually to check to make sure there's nothing else you can buy. Uh, you get a certain amount of the premium currency every day regardless. Uh, and you can upgrade that using in-game points, but eventually you hit a point where it says if you want to increase your premium currency, like your daily premium currency, you can pay a dollar for that. Um, now the but, question is, would you buy that for a dollar? <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar. I probably would, actually. I might. Because, you know, I've enjoyed the, the little bit of downtime that this game provides for the last few days, so I might give them a dollar. It's worth a dollar. But, yeah, so that's a cute little game. Those are all the games that I played this week. Literally, that's all the games I played this week. I think I might have opened The Sims 3 for a few minutes and then just closed it because I went, I don't have time to get sucked into this right now. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, that's not all I played, but, you know, uh, you know, playing like four or five hours of RimWorld recording, can't really talk about that. <laughs> right. I did play a little bit of Hearthstone, uh, mostly just the Tavern Brawl. I mean, that's pretty much the best part of Hearthstone any day, anyways. Now, yeah. unless you've kept up with the the, the meta yeah, and all the card releases. I did play one uh, normal mode uh, match, and I beat the guy with the very last card in my deck. Nice. I got him down to two health. He thought he had me. It was a mage and. I was playing a paladin, and he was just, you know, pinging down everything I had. Got him down to two health. Last card I drew was a uh, Avenging Wrath. Three damage. We should, if you're playing Hearthstone right now, we should play Hearthstone. We could do I some quick recordings of it. Just I have it on my phone. So? And honestly, it's not something I really enjoy playing outside of just the Tavern Brawl. I played one rank mode just because I have a quest that gives me a couple packs of the, I think it's the Gadgetstan expansion. Mm-hmm. If I win three matches as a paladin, maybe that's something I could do is just get you to uh, you know, lose to me two times <laughs> to get that quest done. I, as long, <laughs> I'd do that as long as you promise to play at least one game with me for realsies. Well, considering I have just basic cards. I haven't played Hearthstone with, over a year. I don't think. I think it's been... I've only played it a couple months after it came out, and that was about it. I don't have any of the expansions. Let's put it this way. The mage I played brought out Cthune, and it, if I didn't uh, have that one card that gave me just enough damage, I was dead. Because Cthulhu wiped my board. Right. And it was, yeah, it was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> right. Well, let's go ahead and move on from games to our first news topic of the week, which is Sean Murray talks Hello Labs and the No Man's Sky launch. <laughs> uh, who would fucking buy a game published by Hello Games? Hopefully nobody. Anyone? Anyone? No? What exactly is Hello Labs? I read this article and I'm not sure I understand. Is Hello uh, Labs essentially- a game or is that the thing that they're talking about with uh, funding projects? That's uh, essentially they're becoming a publisher for 
uh, games that have a lot of procedural generation and are experimental. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tweeted out, uh, well, it wasn't in relation to this, but it kind of fits. That procedural generation outside of a few very specific uh, genres is becoming a red flag to me. Yeah. Uh, procedural generation of itself isn't a bad thing. But the thing is that it's used as really filler content and there's no meat to the uh, on the bones. Right. Uh, I, a procedural generation uh, engine can create, well, 36 galaxies worth of content. But if they're all just palette swaps, what's the fucking point? Yeah. I think procedural generation is a great tool to be used in the creation of a game. Like, let's say that you want to create, uh, generate some level textures or some terrain or something. Sure, run it through a procedural generation program that generates, you know, a quintillion square kilometers of land. And then go through and pick out uh, some of the best, most interesting things that the procedural generation engine gives you. And tie them all together and make that your overworld. You know, that makes sense to me. Or for, you know, Minecraft uses a fair bit of procedural generation to generate its world. But, you know, the gist of Minecraft allows for that to be okay. Well, the thing is that Minecraft isn't exactly a good look at a procedural generation. Because it's all about building in that world. Yeah. Uh, the world isn't... The content, the world is the palette. Yeah, that's a fair point. It's, uh, well, let's pick a game almost at random. No Man's Sky. (laughs) Where could you possibly have chosen that game from, I wonder? (laughs) I don't know. Hello, games. (laughs) Or, uh, I guess they're going to go to their uh, Chinese division. Ni Hao game. (laughs) Or, sorry, Japanese. (laughs) That's racist. Anyways, carry on. Sorry. Actually, that's Japanese. That's racist against the Japanese. No, I don't think it is. Just saying uh, the same thing in their language. <laughs> now, saying that they're going to work themselves to death uh, and uh, sleep at their desks, that's racist. That's true, though. <laughs> that happens. There's a specific psychological term that covers that. There's a Japanese term that covers that. Anyways, back 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 on topic. <laughs> Aww. Uh, but, uh, and No Man's Scott, the world is not your palette. The world is the content, and you're exploring really, really bland worlds that you'll see a couple buildings here and there, but there's no real... Understanding about, okay, where is this outpost here? Why, why did they abandon it? There's no background. It's just there. And that really is where the shallowness of procedural generation comes through, is that, yes, it makes galaxies worth of content, but there's no context that a human person, or a human person, a human hand would give those buildings that would give these locations and that's where it really falls flat right 
Um, what all else was there to say? Well, uh, well I- a lot of this article, well, a lot of people have talked about is how Sean Murray says that he was basically caught by surprise about the number of players that were playing uh, or trying to play <laughs> No Man's Sky at launch. I don't believe that. I think that he, I genuinely believe he was surprised that it was that many, but I don't believe that he thinks, or that he uh, was being honest when he said, yeah, I thought it was going to be like 3,000 oh, well, or 15,000. No, 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 they were expecting 15,000 at launch. Right. I can't, because they were, Sony should have given them pre-order numbers yeah, to give them they, a rough estimate of what they expect. If they didn't expect. get pre-order numbers, then yes, I couldn't understand that. But just looking at the internet buzz, yes, I realize that people talking about a game doesn't mean that they're buying the game. But just how absolutely absurd the levels of hype was around this game before launch. And they expect 15,000? Really? Yeah. Yeah, I don't believe for a second that that's actually how many they think. Or maybe they were expecting 15,000 to stick around. Yeah, that might have made a little more sense. But, I mean, you know, in his quote, he says that uh, Sony told them to expect or AAA to estimate something, yeah, befitting a AAA product. And most AAA games launch, yeah, multiplayer AAA games launch at fifty to 60,000. Some of them more, some of them a little bit less, but that's kind of the average that we've seen over the last well, even year. Even that would have been uh, nowhere near enough. No, but I'm Steam sure it, alone was what a quarter a million. Uh, it was a quarter or a half a million. One of them was a quarter, and the other one was a half a million. It was just absurd numbers. Yeah, but yeah, I, if they set up for fifty thousand, uh, y'all got hit by a quarter million. Okay, that's more understandable than setting up for fifteen thousand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Just, but then uh, again, to be you know, fair, how much data does the multiplayer component of No Man's Sky need? Oh, wait. It needs none because there is no multiplayer component. It's leaderboards. <laughs> yeah, I love how he's still focused on that in this article. Like, yeah, there was a, a billion something. It's in here somewhere. I'm not going to go look for it because it's not worth my time. But he was like, yeah, there were like a billion unique discoveries on day one. It's like nobody cared about that. Everyone cared that it was broken. And, so. and that, and it was shallow. The features list, uh, the missing features list was longer than the features list. Yeah. So. Uh, they might be able to save their reputation if it's they do some road. major change, either do some major changes to show that, like, hey, these people. Didn't know what they were doing. New leadership, please give us another chance. Or, you know, they release several games over the next few years that are all functional and at least closer to what was promised. I mean, you know. And if they dress and Sean Murray out of an airlock. Yeah. <laughs> Instant forgiveness if they dress and Sean Murray out of an airlock. But, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot to say about it, I don't think. Yeah, it's. Beyond that. <laughs> Sean Murray tried to go th- for the sympathy card here, but honestly, it just kind of fell flat. Dan, he talked about going home and uh, after uh, programming his little engine, 
and acting like he's this little indie developer while he has Sony behind him. And Sony's saying, yeah, this is expect this to be like a AAA game. I mean, that's the biggest thing to me that's like, nah, nah, brah. You don't get my sympathy on this. So even Sony's going, yeah, this we're treating this like a AAA game. You should too. Yeah, especially with the marketing push behind it and all the interviews. I mean, did he really think he was only going to get 15,000 uh, concurrent players when he was on The Tonight Show talking about this game? Yeah, with Stephen Colbert. I still remember that. Or I, I do remember that. I love me some Colbert. Yeah, I've actually uh, started watching him. But, so yeah, I don't really have anything else to add to the, the topic. Yeah, it's just more the utter shock of, really? <laughs> yeah. And on, on both counts, on both No Man's Sky, you know, uh, and this is really the first time that they've talked about anything No Man's Sky in months. Yeah. Because they went complete radio silence for months. Then, you know, they got hacked and had a little blip on the radar. Then they had the foundation patch, and now they've gone radio silence again. So maybe maybe we'll see the basement patch come up next. <laughs> yeah. Then the ground floor, then uh, floor two. <laughs> maybe. Okay. Well, uh, then let's move on to our next news topic, which is we're going to discuss the launch of the Nintendo Switch. Oh, the Nintendo Switch. Uh, maybe it's just the fact that I'm not a Nintendo fanboy, but I'll look at the Switch and think, this shouldn't be out yet. The Nintendo Switch is the sac- second fastest selling Nintendo console, uh, only being beat by the Wii. Actually, from what I saw, the launch day numbers and the launch weekend numbers, it beats the Wii. But Does that's... It- but that's not really fair because uh, the Wii had a lot of supply issues for about a year, actually. Yeah, I can't remember, though, if the Wii had actual supply issues. Because, I mean, everybody I would say a little Wii. bit of both. Yeah, versus the because, Nintendo well, artificial well, supply well, issue. The, well, the thing is, I think it was partly Nintendo artificial supply issue, which has been their thing for the last several years. All, well, all the way back to the uh, to the Nintendo Wii. Yeah. But also, the fact that Nintendo really captured markets that they didn't tap before. You know, the elderly, for example, the the, the very casual gamers. Yeah, and they didn't recapture those with the Wii U. Well, uh, part of that, you know, people saw Wii U and thought, "Well, why would I need a tablet for my Wii?" Yeah. Um. So. The we the the switch has had a, a pretty successful launch, uh, and yeah, I haven't I'm heard. Still, yeah, too... but I'm still looking at it and thinking, "Wow, there's a lot of things here that don't make sense design wise. That it feels like it's a half baked console. That this is version one, and we're going to see version two in a year or two. I don't really feel that way about it. It's got a few little issues from what I've seen, but I mean, every new product launched has little issues that are wrong with it. The biggest issue i've seen with it which supposedly was fixed with a a software patch which increased the power of the bluetooth transceiver or the the power drop that the bluetooth transceiver is drawing is uh the the bluetooth transceiver and the right joy con is in a weird position and your the a person's hand is enough to block the signal 
causing delays well, and I've disconnects. Seen, I've seen a lot of people saying it's the left. Maybe it was uh, the left. A, a, a left uh, Joy-Con uh, desync. Uh, actually, the most damning thing I would say, well, beyond that, uh, which can be fixed by a software update, is the fact that the dock scratches the screen. I could, I mean, I see where that's frustrating and why that frustrates people, but I'm someone who doesn't care about that sort of thing. So, like, from my own personal thing, I went, you know, I'm going, yeah, I don't really care about that. But I do recognize that that is an issue for a lot of people. So I'm not, like, dismissing it. Just personally, it well, doesn't really bother well, me that co- much. Well, it's a combination between the dock being designed where there's these plastic rails that run on, on the screen. And the fact that the screen is plastic and not a glass uh, screen like a smartphone is. Mm-hmm. So you don't have that Gorilla Glass on that, uh, that's really scratch resistant. You have this very soft uh, plastic like an LCD monitor. So it's a combination of those two factors that makes it very prone to scratching. And the fact that it's very difficult to get a screen protector to stick to this thing because of the heat it generates. There's been a lot of people talking about screen protectors just peeling off uh, and the, the heat from the console, uh, denaturing the adhesive on the uh, screen protector. And the fact that, uh, what was it, D-Brand? Yeah, it was D-Brand. Uh, this, D- I was going to... Uh, uh, D-Brand uh, said that they can't get a vinyl uh, skin to stick to this thing because of the plastic they build it with has a negative reaction with the adhesives on uh, all the... Uh, prototypes that they did and they posted some really gnarly looking <laughs> pictures to the fact that yeah it looked like the the we or the switch that they uh, put on that, that they had, took pictures of looked like it was uh, you know, several years old and was very roughly treated <laughs> it looked to me like someone had taken sandpaper and yeah. and scratched it up or scuffed it up uh, which is kind of a neat look but I mean you know, I do understand that that's the product uh, being torn apart. So, I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, great. But for most people, they aren't. Yeah, if you want to uh, weather your switch very quickly, uh, put a sticker on it. Yeah, I was I was going to bring that up. It's probably the thing that bothers me the most because, I mean, I would immediately want to put uh, either like a, a case on it. But given the size of it, if, I, if we do wind up purchasing one, given the size of it, a case would make it even bulkier. So, you know some sort of protector or or something like that but you know if it's not gonna stick and it's gonna destroy the the finish on the the console itself that's that's a little frustrating for me but i hadn't seen where people were saying they couldn't get screen protectors to stick to it yeah i've seen a few reports of uh just the heat of the console uh, causes some screen protectors there's other ones that have been working but uh well that's the thing is that they're the negative of voices are greatly outcry the uh you know the ones that don't say anything uh, matter of fact uh, i added one more link on my uh, uh just cavalcade of links i have here because yeah there's a yeah, lot we've, yeah we kind of com- we're going to be covering a lot of different things so of just random really really weird <laughs> things that go wrong with the switch just the uh uh the graphics uh uh are Drop or just garbled from uh, the uh, well, it looks like honestly a loose connector from the LCD to the uh, motherboard. Uh, there's uh, random freezes, crashes, uh, a, a highlight of the 
uh, Joy-Cons uh, desyncing, uh, having it, you know, some ghosting where they're desyncing. But I am willing to just uh, look past all those because that is, you know, a console that is this popular. There are going to be the limits out there. How many consoles have they shipped all or shifted oh, already? I, I haven't seen a final numbers yet. Let's do a quick I search because I haven't looked. Google might be able to tell us. Um, I'm looking for absolute numbers and not saying well, I sold the uh, Nintendo Wii because honestly, that doesn't really tell me anything. Yeah. Uh, only thing we know right now is that the Wii sold uh, 600,000 units during its first eight days. So, more than that. According to this... Oh, wait, no, that's just the UK. Never mind. Um, okay, so if it's more than 600,000 units, what's a 5% fail rate for 600,000? Let me pull up my calculator. Uh, well, a lot. <laughs> Uh, but then you get into uh, Nintendo's policy of a dead pixel. That's a feature. Uh, that would be 5% fail ratio of 600,000 is 30,000 units. Yeah, which, you know, a few of those get go viral. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, like, trying to just, like, defend Nintendo, yeah, yeah, that's, that's but there I'm is this to, weird... That's why I'm willing to overlook, you know, the, the, all the videos of the uh, failures, you know, the... Uh, you know, Zelda just uh, not wanting to load up, which, let's be perfectly honest, I would say a vast majority of the people that have the Switch right now are playing Zelda because that's about the only fucking thing to play on that game, uh, or that console. Yeah, and every everything that I've heard from people says that 1-2-Switch should have been a pack-in with the game, like Wii Sports or something like that. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much all I've heard about it. It's ludicrous that it's a $60 title. Uh, according to this, there were 1.2 million Switch pre-orders for GameStop alone. So, I mean, not everyone would actually follow through with that purchase, but I would say a pretty safe estimate. Uh, there's a million Switches in the U.S. right now. Yeah, I would say that's probably pretty safe. Plus, you know, you've got ones in Europe, Japan. I'm sure that they've sold in other places too, but those are kind of your big markets. The United States, Canada... Uh, Europe and Japan. So yeah, but the, I think the big thing for me is that okay, the dock uh, scratches the screen, which yes, I realize it. It doesn't scratch the screen that's in, in an important place, but it still makes the console look ugly. The fact that the screen is so easy to scratch, and that you can't protect the screen with a vinyl uh, coating because. <laughs> <laughs> the console gets destroyed in the process. Which is interesting because there are some aspects of the Switch that are incredibly well put together. One of the links is a YouTube video where this guy uh, takes, you know, just yeah. basically destroys technology to see how well it holds up to punishment. And for example, the buttons are injection molded. So instead yeah, of them that, that being painted impressive. on, you know, the X goes all the way through the button. So, you know, you'll never have the, the key wear off or the, the, the button, you know, the symbol wear off yeah, for use because it's literally a part of the button. Yeah, and he showed how the kickstand is uh, meant to uh, come off without uh, being destroyed. 
But then he highlights that, you know, it's very easy to lose it because of that. Right. And the SD card slot is right under that. So, you know, you uh, pull out the kickstand to uh, put in a new SD card, you know, you put down the kickstand and you lose it. Yeah. And he points out, you know, that it it's actually pretty resistant to damage. I mean, you know, he's using a, a razor blade to do a lot of damage to it. And he's like, you know, I'm cut into this with a razor blade, but it's actually doing, you know, I'm paraphrasing, doing fairly well. And this is like simulating years of hard hard wear and tear about the only part of it that was really weak uh, was the screen uh and then yeah but that's a damning failure i mean you know you get scratches all over that screen it's going to be a lot harder to see anything on it yeah yes yes i realized that this isn't just a mobile uh console this is a a home console as well but still you know just having that screen uh, just tore up it looks so ugly and the fact that the dock does it Everything that I'm hearing from reviews, uh, you know, reviews that I trust, like Laura K. Buzz from over at Let's Play Video Games and Jim Sterling and um, a couple others, are basically saying, look, yes, this is a home console and it can be used as such. It's way better as a handheld. So, yeah, which then you get into weird things like the placement of the charging port. You cannot charge the uh, console... And use it in uh, the uh, tabletop mode at the same time because of the placement of the charging port. Right. Which, honestly, if I was to get this as a mobile console, first thing I would do is get a power bank that is able to charge it because the lifespan on the battery, if you're playing Zelda, is two and a half hours. Yeah, I was going to say about two and a half hours, which that's that's a little less than what we guesstimated, but that's pretty close to what we guesstimated, so... I'm I'm feeling pretty proud about about that, but yeah. Well, that's on the low end of their scale, and they're saying uh, games that aren't as uh, demanding will get up to six hours. But honestly, right now the only thing people are really playing on this console is Zelda, yeah. and the fact that and, and well something else that is just utterly damning, which can be fixed in software, but the fact that it launched it like this is just beyond stupid for a mobile console is the fact that the save data is on the console and it cannot be transferred off. Yeah. Um, which, Nintendo is always around five years behind all the other major console makers on a lot of features, and this is one of them. A long time ago, that was true. Your data on all consoles was tied to the console itself. Um, with Xbox, they had removable hard drives, so you could take the hard drive out and put it in another machine, but all of your data is still hard-coded to the old machine, and you had to go through this really long process to transfer everything to a new box. But now, uh, Xbox and PlayStation both uh, store allow you to store save data in the cloud so that you can in- easily transfer it to another machine. So, Nintendo, behind the times again. Yeah, but it's mind-bogglingly stupid because it's not like they uh, didn't put removable media into this. The fact that you have an SD card slot, which is encrypted, by the way, uh, into the device, but you can't move save data onto it? Why? Other than Nintendo being Nintendo. So the Switch is, when it's online features, with its online features, it's now account-based as opposed to hardware-based for, like, your digital purchases and things. I wonder if they'll have... Uh, some like upload your data to the cloud or something like that. I wonder if they'll have that in the near future if they don't have it already. 
But well, the thing is that even the social features of their online, that's not going to be available till the summer when their smartphone app comes out, which it, it still boggles my mind that it's tied solely to a smartphone app. Yeah. Now, if they had it where the smartphone app was a secondary thing and it could be do it, it could be done through the smartphone app or the console itself, you know, that would have been pretty smart. I would have supported them on that. But the fact that it's solely a smartphone app, I wonder. Microsoft has a, a smartphone app like that's exactly like what you just said. Everything's accessible on the app, but you don't have to. Use yeah, the but app. it's a secondary thing. It's not the primary. I don't know if PS. I don't know if Sony has one. They probably do, but. Oh, Anyways, no, just, I wonder. It just seems weird. Let's talk about that for a minute. So, um, one of the counter arguments that I've heard to that point, which I'm on your side, but I'm going to play devil's advocate for a minute, oh, is that boy, this is designed go. to appeal to the Japanese market, um, who are already so smartphone and mobile gaming heavy, uh, that if they don't, regardless of whether or not they have their Switch with them, it's designed to point them towards their phones, which already have. You know their mobile environment is different than ours. I'm just yeah, true. Just wondering, like, I mean, I think that it's stupid. That maybe it's, it's just forced. maybe it is a cultural thing, and we're looking at this as outsiders. And I'm a complete outsider in this. That the last time I had a Nintendo console was the Nintendo 64. So it's been a while. Yeah, but looking at this, I just keep thinking, why, 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 why. Well, also, this is just me thinking. I haven't seen this anywhere, but I wonder. I mean, when it, whenever I play Nintendo games, I'm not interested in playing with other people unless they're sitting in the room with me. And I never oh, use yeah, the social features. To, yeah, you have to anyway. have your millennial uh, rooftop party. Yeah, we'll go sit up on the roof and <laughs> try and hang on to the shingles and play at the same time. But anyways, um, I wonder. I don't know. I just wouldn't use it. I wouldn't use their. I don't use their online features now that are built into stuff because I don't care. Well, the thing is that they're trying to do more online gaming. I mean, look at uh, Splatoon. That was a big hit for them. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. Uh, and Mario Kart uh, that has online racing, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, it does. But I never do it. I've occasionally played Smash Brothers online, but they use peer to peer for that, and it's fine if you're playing with one other person but the more people you add the worse and laggier it gets and you can't play a fighting game with lag uh, it doesn't matter Zelda drops down to 20 FPS anyway <laughs> so and uh, no I'm not actually joking about that uh, Zelda on both the Wii U and Switch and it's in different spots that's the thing has uh, places where it drops down to 20 FPS I think it runs at 60 in tablet mode. Uh, actually, it, everything I've heard is that it's locked 30, period. Is it locked 30? Okay. Then it because Zelda, 30. Zelda is the uh, 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 the exception to the rule where Nintendo tries to go 60. Yeah. But they polish Zelda graphically to the point where they have to go 30. Which I think is a mistake. Yeah. But especially when there's a lot of action on the screen, uh, yeah, 30 FPS, well, 20 FPS. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't feel all that good. Nope, definitely not. Um, 
So they're using friend codes again. That's another thing that I've got beef with. Friend codes are stupid. Yeah, they're supposedly going to go with more options later on. That's why I said that it feels like it's launched months ahead of it should uh, of it should being. This feels like a prototype. I think this some is some of the weird design decisions. It feels like they wanted to rush it out the door for Zelda. Yeah. I feel like nin- this is just Nintendo being Nintendo and stupid because everyone hated the friend code system for the Wii and I can't remember if it persisted into the Wii U or not, but everyone hated it and then they got rid of it and people were happy and now they have it again. I don't understand. Although I don't think that that has anything to do with with what you're saying about it being rushed out. I think that that's just a stupid design decision. Well, I've heard a lot of people talking about how uh, it's a soft launch, that this is uh, essentially the prototype for the Switch, which, yep, you shouldn't be buying a prototype when it's a game console like this. It just seems so weird. Probably what I'll do is, I I, I do want a Switch. I really do. I've wanted to get back into handheld gaming for a long time. I just never could pull the trigger on a DS, but I think I'd like a Switch. Uh, but well, I mean, well, I'm definitely well, gonna buy it now. Buttons. Do what? There's only the shoulder buttons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I think I'll pick one up, but wait till at least Christmas because they'll have bundles at Christmas and they'll probably be cheaper. Uh, I might even wait till next year though. I'm really expecting them to have uh, a, a version two before three years from now. Yeah. And what probably would they call with it? a switch to a switch it switch plus a switch up. No, switch just you. switch it. Switch it. <laughs> switch it. I like switch it. Um, but I think there's going to be another version and they're going to address some of the problems with it. Yeah. Make it so that there's a, uh, the Gorilla Glass screen, you know, like a smartphone has, because it's just a mobile device that's so scratch prone on the screen. It's just mind boggling to me. Why did they do that? Yeah. Uh, so are there any other points you want to hit? Because I'm running out of things to talk about. <laughs> well, uh, should we talk about how they're talking about dead pixels? Yo, that's not a defect? Uh, sure. Let me open up that article because I just kind of breezed through all this stuff. I mean, that... granted, it is kind of a policy these days that uh, there's a certain number of dead pixels that uh, you know a manufacturer doesn't consider as being bad enough, but anywhere from 0 to 16. Yeah. Um, and the thing is that the 3DS, uh, at least according to this article, uh, granted, I don't really have a lot of experience with the 3DS outside of emulation. They had a zero pixel policy, but then again, that may be screen size. Yeah. Um, or um, is this just Nintendo being Nintendo again? <laughs> I think this might be Nintendo being Nintendo. Um, also, how widespread is this defect? 
That's the thing. It's really hard to tell right now. Yeah. Because, well, it's hard to tell the just what is the failure rate on the Switch right now because there's a lot of people saying, well, uh, mod's not doing this, which is a terrible <laughs> uh, thing to say because, yeah, you know, it doesn't help. But at the same time, you have a, a, you know, a, a couple of videos go viral that of uh, just the Switch um, making this ungodly noise whenever it freezes. <laughs> right. Which I am including a link to uh, a, a, compl- a compilation of just various uh, Nintendo Switch glitches. And some of them are rather interesting. Some of the sounds that the Switch makes whenever it freezes uh, can only be uh, described as ear rape. <laughs> I've, you know, I'm just thinking about all of the screen devices I own. I've never owned a device that had dead pixels. Or at least there were so well, few that I could not notice them. Well, the thing is that LCDs have come a long way after they've hit the consumer market to the point that dead pixels are pretty much a zero tolerance to the consumer these days. Yeah. You know, it's not you pick up a uh, your LCD monitor uh, from wherever and you see, oh, well, there's a dead pixel in the corner. Well, it happens. No, that's, you know, that's return policy at that point. And the fact that Nintendo's trying to say uh, th- that, yeah, these are not defects. Bullshit. I guess it depends on what definition they're using for defect. Like, well, it, it's less than our standard for it being a defective product, so these few yeah. are not defects. That's probably what they're trying to say, but still, that's pretty shitty anyways. Like, I, it would really suck, because the screen for the the Switch is pretty large, but at the same time, it's small enough, and you're going to be staring at it closely enough that you would really notice dead pixels. Oh, I just remembered a screen I had that was messed up. But it was an old <laughs> CRT TV that I had, so yeah, it's not exactly the count. same. I mean, that's that was just normal. They would die after a couple of years a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah and I just partly wonder just, you know, Outside of uh, scratch resistance, just how durable are these screens if, since they're not protected by glass? Well, in that one video, the screen uh, where the guy was tearing into the yeah, but that's switch, uh, the screen that's, was, that's heat damage. Well, but he did say that the screen itself was underneath the plastic enough that the heat did not affect it from the lighter that he held over it. So yeah, true. Uh, he melted the plastic before the uh, LCD damaged. Yeah. But at the same time, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Is pressure, not heat. Ah, okay. Yeah, you know, if you have a, 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 you know, you throw in your backpack and you have a pin in, uh, in rattling around your backpack, that well, first of all, that's going to scratch your switch screen all to hell. But is it going to damage uh, uh, the pixels in it as well? Yeah, that's a good question. Because I didn't see him do a pressure test on it. Uh, yeah, I don't think he did. I'm not sure. And since it looks like it's more related to an LCD monitor than a smartphone, like he usually does, he may have not just thought of it because, you know, it's outside of his uh, general range of uh, uh, expertise. And the reason why I used that video was that it did show, you know, the general durability and uh, what the Switch is made out of. And it's mostly plastic. Yeah. 
Which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. Plastic's yeah, a lot it, cheaper than uh, like aluminum or other things that yeah, the only metal are made that was the rails. Yeah. And I mean, they do want to keep costs down because Nintendo is, you know, they're always the cheap family friendly option, you know, at least in comparison to their competition. Although launching at 300 bucks, that puts it in line with uh, an Xbox One and then PS4 when they go on sale. Yeah. Not the Pro, but. <laughs> yeah, but then again, who gets the Pro right now? True. A few people have. For that sweet, sweet fake 4K gaming. <laughs> yeah, but then again, you know, people are talking about how the Switch is uh, 1080p, but it really outputs at 900, at least for Zelda. Yeah. So, yeah, you still got scaling on the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. Hopefully Nintendo doesn't pursue that path. If they want to do it for one game... Sure, I'll let Nintendo have one game, but... Uh, also, once again, Zelda does kind of break the rules for Nintendo to begin with, because that's the game that they get for for the shiny. Yeah. Now, if Mario goes where, you know, the F, where it's 30 FPS and it drops down to 20 at times, oh... Yeah, that would be rough. Poor Mario. Granted, for some reason, it's had a lot this time. <laughs> Well, he's in the real world this time, in air quotes, real world, so. Yeah, which, does that mean Mario isn't human? Because we saw other people in that, and they look nothing like Mario. I don't know. Is Mario human? Or maybe he's like a special type, like a sub, what would be the, a subclassification <laughs> of human? <laughs> Uh, I just, I just had that uh, thought. Mario is subhuman. Wow, that's really racist. He's Italian. <laughs> I'm trying to remember like biology from undergrad or in, in high school, but I just this is a me. human. This, this is, is a human on toadstools. <laughs> Any questions? This is beyond the scope of my expertise. We need <laughs> Mel's in here. I mean, technically, she's a chemist, right? Biochemist? No, 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 chemist is someone else. Whatever. She. This would be closer to her field than mine. <laughs> Mel, sort this out for me, please. Let us know next week. What what uh, sort of Mel's, human uh, is Mario? Uh, <laughs> uh, fucked up. <laughs> short. He's very short. Hot as fuck. Definitely I mean, from all the I mushrooms. Mean, I mean, he's eating mushrooms and flowers like crazy. I don't know how he's not dead, to be honest. Tolerance. I guess so. <laughs> okay. Well, let's move on then to our next topic. Well, I'm, I'm really harsh on, uh, on Nintendo, aren't I? You are. But You're harsh again, on a lot of things, though, when it comes to corporate anything. I don't necessarily, like, forgive corporations, but I tend to be a lot, a lot less hard on them than you are. I guess well, I was going to say, then again, I'm looking at this as a PC player. I'm looking at this thing... Okay, if let, let's say Nvidia uh, launched a tablet, uh, a portable tablet uh, similar to this, where you can plug the it shield? in. The uh, shield. Well, uh, the, the shield. Well, I can't remember what their uh, what their uh, tablet was. So, I was, well, the shield tablet because they had, I think, three different products named Shield at one point. 
Yeah, that's why I was uh, kind of blanking on the name because you know, she no that that was that was their uh, handheld, wasn't it? Uh, no, the, then they had the shield. <laughs> then they had the shield. But anyway, the Nvidia tablet. If they had a dock that scratched the screen, they would have been raked across the fucking coals. I think PC players in general tend to be a lot harsher on things, which I mean. It makes sense to me. PC players tend to be more hardcore oh boy, here gamers. We go. The, hardcore gamers the wrong, I think the wrong term to use, but it's the only thing that comes to mind. Like typically, I, I'm going to borrow more... a term from. I'm going to borrow a term from TB, which I'm sure he was borrowed somewhere else. Core gamer. Yeah, I think PC gamers fit much more into that than console gamers do. Uh, and I know I not to say that console gamers can't be core gamers, but I think if you are a PC gamer, you are a core gamer, unless you're uh, you know playing Zuma or something on Facebook, no. because then you're technically a PC gamer, but uh, that's yeah, that's not exactly playing the latest Battlefield. <laughs> yeah, and so you know those sort of people tend to be more discerning and more um, more invested which makes them more critical. Uh, and I straddle this interesting line between being very oh, critical wow. of companies and things that they do, but also very forgiving um, or very... Hmm. I keep an open mind, uh, and I'm always willing to give another chance within reason, of course. Like you know, like I said, with No Man's Sky. Oh, and, so you're going to be lining up for their, uh, the Hello Labs. Got it. Well, I mean, I would give, I'll give them another chance, but they're going to have to take some time to prove to me that, that they can earn it, I guess is the best way to say it. But I tend, yeah, I guess I tend to be a lot I'll more optimistic them. than you. Honestly, uh, I'm just, I, well, the thing is, you know, I've seen a lot more of the gaming industry. <laughs> I mean, I've still seen a lot. I've been, uh, into gaming for, two-thirds since i was old enough to play games by myself like four years old and i really started getting into the gaming industry uh, more on the console for, side i would say nearly 30 years now yeah i've been gaming for a little over 20 years so i mean yeah you've seen more than me but i just in general i'm a much more optimistic person than you i think and that bleeds over into like I'm not afraid to criticize, but I'm also not afraid to give these companies a chance. Or afraid might be the wrong word, but I I can also be lenient. You rarely are lenient with companies, I think. Which is, okay, I mean, I'll it's give you that. yeah. Which you know, everybody has their own way of viewing things, and that gives us a uh, good balance on the show because both of us aren't usually like. Yeah, they're they suck and they're dumb and I don't understand this and this is ridiculous, you know. Or the other side of the coin, like, well, you know, it's probably gonna be okay and we'll give them another chance, guys, and it'll all work out in the end. Like we strike a balance between the two of us. Yeah, but we do take turns at beating on their main sky. So That's true. That. That's true. And a few other yeah, games. One of us, yeah, one of us gets tired and yeah, we hand off the club. <laughs> Indeed. So, you want to go talk about a, a game award show? Sure. All right. Let's talk about the GDC awards. I need to pull up these because I closed yeah. these windows to pull up all the Switch stuff. I don't yeah, like when I have the... too many tabs open. It gets all cluttery. 
Yeah, and there's a couple tabs because, you know, the GDC award uh, site, you know, they could list all the nominees, but they could be damned to list the actual winners. Yeah. Because that would be way too useful. Okay, so how do we want to handle this? Uh, uh, One of us uh, just reads off the nominees and then uh, the winner and then, or the other one goes for the winner and then we talk about the category in general? Uh, sure. That works. Do you want to do the winners or the nominees? Uh, I'll do the nominees since I have that tab open right now. Okay. Okay. My first one on this list is best audio. Yeah, I think they're the same. I'm quickly looking. Yeah. Well, I'm, well, I'm still going to double check every time. Okay. Yep. Best audio is, okay, is first. Uh, the best audio, uh, the nominees were uh, Battlefield. Oh, before we get into this, we should say that this is the GDC. So this is game developers, not game players. This uh, they're going to be looking at this a bit differently from what we would. Yeah. So some of these uh, nominees and uh, winners may not make a lot of sense on the front, but I think overall, I don't disagree too much. There is a couple things I'm sure we'll uh, have things to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but okay, best audio, Battlefield 1, Thumper, Doom, Inside, and Overwatch. Yep, and the winner was Inside. Yeah, which I've only seen a bit of video of this. This is one of those games that I want to play eventually, so I've kind of avoided uh, just for spoilers. But if I recall correctly, the trailers have some really impressive music to it. Yeah. This is uh, from the same uh, developers that made um, uh, Limbo, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, And yeah, the videos that I've seen, I mean, I haven't played Inside, but the videos that I've seen of it and the soundtrack bits that I have heard are really good. Um, yeah, and I'm just going to skip all the honorable mentions. Uh, yeah, I was going to say there, we there's skip usually those. about a half a dozen of them. Yeah, um, I don't disagree too much. I mean, if I was in charge of picking the category, I think I would have picked Doom mostly for the soundtrack. Uh, uh, yeah, the the soundtrack, but as a whole. Um, Inside, you know, is a solid contender that I'm not yeah. upset about. Yeah, I don't have really... Uh, well, I'm not too uh, knowledgeable on Thumper. That's the only one I don't know here. Yeah, I don't even know if I've... I don't think I've even heard of that game. Thumper. It's by Drool, according to this. It's a rhythm... Rhythm Thumper, balance li- game. Rhythm, but yeah... Rhythm well, violence, uh, classic I think I know someone action. that would uh, love this immediately. Notice a conditional, a traditional controller is strongly recommended to play Thumper. So does that it's mean they like, don't recommend uh, a Steam controller? I guess so. This looks almost like uh, uh, audio. Uh, now I'm blanking on the name of it. I know what game you're talking about, but I don't. I can't think of the name either. Audio surf. Audio surf. Yeah, I knew audio, and that was enough to get me there. This looks very audio surfish. Yeah. Honestly, not as good, in my opinion. It's all... Well, the granted, style of it. I don't like that style. It's very messy. Yeah, yeah th- well, this gets back to what I was talking about, about one of those games where, you know, if the game is very noisy, it's very, you know, it takes away from it. Yeah. It's hard to play it. Yeah. I mean, it might be a really good game. I'm not, like, 
knocking it. Just I don't think but, it's but it as looks good like, looking well, as audio surf. Well, 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 here, top uh, review. If you own a VR headset, this is a must-have. So it's a VR game. Or it supports VR. So there you go. Yeah. Okay, so moving right along. Right. Okay, best debut. Heart Machine uh, by Hyperlife Drifter. Or, or sorry, uh, uh, Hyperlife Drifter's uh, Heart Machine. Uh, the developer's Heart Machine. They were switched but- them. <laughs> or are they saying best debut studio? Uh, I guess it's uh, Best Debut Studio because because it, it's a Bass uh, Studio, but then they list the game. So it's a Heart Machine uh, for uh, that developed Hyperlight Drifter, Campo Santo, which developed Firewatch, Concerned Ape, which developed Stardew Valley, Jewel, which developed Thumper, and Night School Studio, which developed Oxenfree. Um. And the winner was Campo Santo for Firewatch. Yeah, which I've heard a lot of good things about Firewatch. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about Firewatch. Granted, I have played a pretty good amount of Stardew Valley, so you know, I am a little biased on this one. Yeah, I honestly haven't played any game on this list. Um, Firewatch is the one that most interests me out of all of them, but, you know, in my opinion, just being interested in something isn't enough to say that it's a winner for me. So yeah, I don't uh, really have a. I guess I don't really have a suggestion because I haven't played any of the games. You don't have a horse in this race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Stardew Valley is absolutely a brilliant. If you're a fan of Harvest Moon, it's just a must-play. Honestly, Oxenfree also is up there. It's a really uh, story-driven. Yeah. It's another one of those games that I've kind of avoided, uh, uh, spoiler-wise. But it's uh, impressive looking. Right. So, best design? Uh, Sure, best design. Uh, Overwatch. Uh, Dishonored 2. The Witness. Inside. And Doom. Uh, The winner was Overwatch... Yeah, I'm not sure if I uh, really agree with this one. Yeah, I don't know. Overwatch does have really good design, mostly in its characters. Um, yeah, but uh, level-wise, uh, it seems like it doesn't really stand out. Yeah. It has pretty much the standard play modes from everything I could tell, and it's, yeah, it's everything in the, is in its characters, and it's yeah, and I'm looking at things like Dishonored 2, which, yes, yes, it it launched as a hot mess uh, performance-wise, but it was designed very well. Yeah, I mean, it it looks great. Uh, everything in in Dishonored 2 looks great. Characters, environments, effects. Um, it had good audio design as well. And that's the thing is that we're looking at this as uh, from. P- uh, PC players and their game designers. So yeah, uh, I, I would have expected something like Dishonored Two to uh, be more uh, in the forefront. Granted, it did get nominated, uh, as it did The Witness, which honestly, The Witness does absolutely nothing for me. But once again, the design is there. Some of the ways that uh, the puzzles are designed. Yeah, 
Yeah, The Witness has some brilliant puzzle design. It's always kind of one level deeper, one level deeper, you know. Because um, people have figured out, like, for example, the whole island itself is part of a larger puzzle, and you yeah. have to kind of piece it together and things like that. Plus, the art style for The Witness is, is gorgeous. But anyways, yeah, I mean, I, you know, The Witness... I guess I feel like every game on this list is a serious contender, and while mm-hmm. I personally disagree with Overwatch, depending I mean, I on what they mean it, by at the same time, yeah, depending on what they mean by best design, though, uh, you know, they might have some other criteria that, as only players, not developers, that we're not understanding for their decision. So, okay, so best mobile slash handheld. Correct, Amundo. And I'm not sure why they put slash handheld because I only see one handheld game here. Yeah. Uh, Super Mario Run, Clash Royale, Pokemon Go, Reigns, and Pokemon Sun slash Moon. I uh, played uh, representing the handheld category in its entirety. <laughs> yeah, I played Unless every was, game oh, on this list except Pokemon Sun and Moon. Yeah, and the winner. The winner was Pokemon Go. Which, oh, that... Pokemon Go is such a bad game. Yeah, I, I hesitate to call it a game. It's... It's barely a game. Um, I mean, it had huge impact, and... Yeah, that's the thing. It's that, kind of... That's where it is. is it's impact, and where it brought mobile gaming more to the forefront, the attention on it, but at the same time, oh... It's we poke fun at walking simulators, but this is a, a walking motivator. Yeah, I probably the best game on this list, in my opinion, is uh, Reigns. I haven't played Reigns. I, I would have went uh, possibly Clash Royale. Clash Royale is good. That was my second choice. Um, and I haven't played Crash Royale. I played uh, the knockoff version of Minion Masters. Yeah. Um, but it's the same general idea. Yeah. Super Mario Run, though, is not a good game either. I mean, it's more of a game than Pokemon Go, but it's not a good game. Because you can play, I think, the first five levels for free. Yeah, I had no interest in playing uh, Super Mario Run. I mean, I checked it out just to see if it was going to be any good, and I was like, I mean, this is okay, but there's way better mobile games. Let's put it this way. If it didn't have the word Mario in it, nobody would give a shit. Probably not, because there's way better auto-runner games and way better endless-runner games. I mean, Mario technically, I mean, it's not an endless-runner, but it kind of goes along with those handheld versions of those, and it doesn't there are better ones out there that are free. So, yeah, Mario sold that game. Okay, and now for the comedy portion of the uh, GDC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Innovation Award. The Witness. Inside. No Man's Sky. Firewatch. And Pokemon Go. And the winner was No Man's Sky. And here to collect the award is absolutely no one. <laughs> Correct. One of the links that's going to be in the show notes. Uh, no one was there to collect the award from Hello Games or yes. you know, any other uh, representative they could have had. Nobody was there. Yeah, they completely skipped the GDC awards because they figured they weren't going to win. Why go? Which is 
really unprofessional of them. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah, they could have sent, you know, Jeff, you know. Uh, send intern number 73. Send, send intern Jeff. At least they'd have somebody there. The, the most expendable person of the team. Yeah. The person that uh, stirs Sean Murray's coffee to get all the crazy pills into it. <laughs> I'm not sure why so, they're calling No Man's Sky so innovative either. It, uh, my best guess I is could, the massive, like, a game built entirely using procedural generation in the which modern era. Is, but not, uh, not something new as far as I know of because Minecraft. Yeah, Minecraft. The old the, elite what, games were built what, mostly what using procedural s- generation. What I could see for No Man's Sky is the scale. Yeah. That's the only thing I could really understand uh, innovation-wise is that the fact that it is such a massive scale, but it is so shallow at that massive scale. Yeah. That well, well, we talked about it before that it is all palette swaps. You know, yeah. You have, for the most part, you know, yeah. Yeah, you have green planet, you have red planet, you have a uh, blue planet. Oh, here's another red planet with a slightly different sky. I mean, I know that's oversimplifying things so that there's different bombs, but it's different flavors of the same color. Yeah. And, and because <laughs> There's only so many things that you could do before you start getting small variations. Yeah. So, probably, in my opinion, the most innovative game on the list is Pokemon Go. Just because of how, you know, as a game it sucks, but f- for being impactful on both mobile gaming I and have a rebuttal. this potential ARG genre. Huge I-, I have a rebuttal. Thing. Yes. It's a one-word rebuttal. Okay. Ingress? Yeah, but Ingress didn't... Pokemon Go is definitely a evolution of a, Ingress, po- but... Pokemon Go is essentially a Pokemon skin on Ingress <laughs> with some of the features removed from to everything s- that I could see. To some extent, but... Well, it has some d- additional features as well. I guess those are the Pokemon-specific fe- features, but anyways... I see what you're saying, and that is a definitely Honestly, a valid counterpoint. It, uh, possibly to the witness, uh, maybe just, uh, just because of the layers that they went with the puzzles. Yeah, I mean that was innovative. Yeah, maybe so. Uh, inside, uh, Grant, I haven't played it, so maybe I'm missing the point there. But it doesn't look that innovative to me. Yeah, I agree. But I still think it's hilarious that Hello <laughs> Games just completely snubbed the award. Yeah. Oh. And their excuse was, well, we figured we would be told if you know, we were going to win an award. You unprofessional hacks. At least show up if you're nominated. Yeah. I like to imagine that, you know, it's the, you know... The Game Awards style where, you know, they have everyone there and they uh, read out No Man's Sky and the spotlight goes to the empty table. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been spectacular. Oh, that, I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> but, you know, uh, no, uh, Hello Games, uh, 
so incommunicative that they don't even show up at award shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so moving right along. Yes, indeed. Let us move along. Best narrative: the lost, uh, uh, the last guardian, oxen free, uncharted four, a thief's end, inside, and Firewatch. Yes, and the winner was Firewatch. Um, you know, haven't played Firewatch, but again, you know that game is a lot of a walking simulator, simulator with some uh, kind of choose your own adventure style sort of actions yeah, and conversation the, stuff. Yeah, but the thing is that everything I've heard is that uh, the choose your own adventure style is uh, you know, the illusion of choice. You know, it doesn't really right. matter. Right, but still, I, you know, I've heard nothing but good things about yeah. that game's story, so... Um, yeah, I, and uh, well, I do want to mention one honorable mention. They did bring up uh, That Dragon Cancer. Yeah. I mean, that... And, and maybe I'm just, uh, you know, have a little bit of a soft spot for that game just because of the speech that they, that the father uh, the well the developer behind it gave yeah. at the game awards because that that was the the best part of that entire thing that yeah heartfelt moment yeah well that dragon cancer falls apart at the actual gameplay moments when you're just yeah along for the ride with the story and interacting with and observing yeah, what's the, going yeah, on the thing is that it's this fine. is about narrative yeah well, the breaks, the gameplay element breaks kind of tear the narrative down a couple yeah, of notches true. in that Dragon Cancer. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Yeah. So, best narrative, I mean, I haven't played any, actually, I haven't played any of the games on this list. <laughs> yeah, this is mostly us looking at games uh, that we haven't played. Well, but then again, that's us talking about most award shows, except well, for our own. <laughs> yeah. Well, Last Guardian and Uncharted 4 are PS4 exclusives, So, and I don't have a PS4, and you don't either, so we couldn't have played those even if we wanted to. Well, I have a DualShock 4 controller. Does that count? You're halfway there. <laughs> okay, so best technology? Yeah. I don't even know what this award category means, best technology. Uh, well, it has Battlefield 1, No Man's Sky, Overwatch, Doom, and Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. So I guess most popular. <laughs> I guess. Uh, it's best technology. The winner was Uncharted 4, A Thief's End. Okay, so how is this uh, uh, best technology? Is that the only console game that was on the list? Well, Battlefield 1 was a console game, but it had a PC port. Uh, well, if we're talking console games, then No Man's Sky is there. Yeah, good point. Actually, all these games had, except for Uncharted 4, all of these games had console and PC releases. Uncharted 4 is the only one that was console only. Well, well, well I want to mention the uh, honorable mentions. Maybe we could piece this together, all right? Okay. We've we, we got to go deeper. Okay. And uh, Going deeper, there's Inside, Pokemon Go... The Last Guardian, uh, Dishonored 2, and The Witness. Well, if it has to do with, like, I don't know, quality of the, like, game engine or something, The Last Guardian is based on a 10-year-old engine, so that's out. Uh, yeah, but but it uh, is so realistic on having this giant, uncooperative animal put that in the innovation section <laughs> um most innovative game the game that 
refuses to let you play it. <laughs> I wonder if I can Google an answer to what the best technology category means. <coughs> Excuse me. Best technology category. GDC. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, I love that we're having to try to figure this out because, well, this is something that Total Biscuit was talking about that, you know, these awards, they don't really say what they mean. Yeah, a lot of them are pretty self-explanatory, but this one is not. It's just confusing. I don't understand. (laughs) I have to know. Oh. Yeah, sometimes you get these weird categories, and the fact that, uh, honestly, did Uncharted 4 do anything really different from Uncharted 3? I didn't hear anything about it being very innovative. No, I don't Outside of it being the end of the series. Uh, I mean, better graphics, because it's on a newer console, but other than that, no. I mean, even looking at the games that, uh, that they listed... Outside of the engine problems, I would. Oh, I feel dirty about saying this. No Man's Sky, possibly. Why? What's your reason for that? Um, just the other nominees. There's nothing there, and No Man's Sky at least uh, has that expansive universe. Grand, the uh, expansive universe is shallow and boring as hell, but it has it where you could take off from a planet uh, and. Well, granted, it does hide the loading screens behind the warp uh, uh, sequences, but it's fairly seamless on how it does things. Yeah. Well, well, when everything works, I should say. Still looking. I haven't found an answer. (laughs) Uh, And going deeper only made the question even more compelling. So, should we just move along, or do you want to keep looking? Oh, here we go. The Best Technology Award recognizes the overall excellence of technology in a game, including graphics, programming, artificial intelligence, networking capabilities, and physics. Oh, so that's why No Man's Sky didn't win. Networking. Previous winner, uh, winners, The Witcher 3, uh, Destiny, in, or that was in 2015, Destiny in 2014, uh, GTA 5 in 2013, Far Cry 3, Battlefield 3. So I guess just games that in general were... The- this game good. Yeah. Game good. Good game. Physics good. <laughs> AI good. Netcode. No man, Scott, no netcode. No good. <laughs> netcode. Passable. <laughs> All right, I've got this list pulled up here that has a little little blurb for okay. each of the categories. Best so, visual art. I mean, that's that one's. Uh, do, do we have Do we have any uh, that were really uh, uh, ambiguous? I mean, I, I mean, we got a little confused on best debut, but that was more just you know, I read it backwards because you know all the other categories had game developer best design. We were a little like, what could they mean by best design? Uh, Best Design Awards recognizes the overall excellence of design of a game, including gameplay elements, mechanics, puzzles, play balancing and multiplayer, and scenario generation. Rocket League won in 2015. 
But um, continuing on. Yeah, yeah, carry on. <laughs> Best visual art: Firewatch, The Last Guardian, Overwatch, Uncharted Four, A Thief's End, and Inside. And the winner was Inside. Which, which is very stylish. Yeah. Which, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. It's a very stylized game. The Last Guardian was pretty stylized as well, mm-hmm. but it did suffer from, compared Being, to modern uh, games, it yeah. was like, yeah, this game is old. It, yeah, the game was in development for so long that it felt like a PS3, uh, well, it looked like a PS3 game, uh, just upscaled. Yeah. And it honestly <laughs> handled like a PS2 game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Here's one that we're going to have a lot to talk about. Best VR AR game. Res Infinite, Super Hot VR, Jump Simulator, the 2015 or the sorry, the 2050 Chronicles, Pokemon Go, and Fantastic Contraption. Uh it is this two games or is this one game? Oh, that's okay. There's, that's the title of one game. Okay, um, it, the winner was Job Simulator, the 2050 archives. Yeah. For a second there, I was like, "Is this two games?" But <laughs> oh, I'm glad we practiced this. I mean, I've seen Job Simulator, and it looks kind of wacky and funny. But I mean, well, I don't. Well, that's the thing is that uh, VR is still in its infancy. So there's games out there that. In two years, we're not going to look at anymore. Well, I tweeted out earlier today, I was looking at review code uh, to, you know, sign up for. And I came across a game that one of its selling points, okay, mind you, selling point. Okay. They talked about how the game had 20 minutes of gameplay. Wow. A whole 20 minutes. Actually, I, I would appreciate that right about now, but when life gets back to normal, <laughs> that's... Wow. I hope they're not uh, counting on a lot of sales of this game, because I imagine there's a lot of people that gonna, that's going to refund that. Probably. On Steam, that's at a least. Steam game. Yeah, well, it's a Steam game. Well, yeah, but, I'm, you know, if they sell it... Yeah, I imagine places. it's going to be on the VR uh, marketplaces as well, but it, it, I, I, I was looking at the store page, and I saw... Oh, 20, uh, wait, minutes? <laughs> oh. Yeah. I, okay, get, uh, let's wrap this up. Game of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uncharted 4, A Thief's Sand, Overwatch, Inside, Dishonored 2, Firewatch. Like, we haven't heard these before. Yeah. And the game of the year winner was Overwatch. Yay. Woo. <laughs> that'll, make, that'll make Ghost happy. He likes Overwatch. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm... Yeah, I'm looking at the nominee... Or, sorry, the honorable, honorable mentions. I think I figured out why Hello Games uh, didn't come. They're not listed on the honorable mentions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone's a little butt hurt. Yeah, they'll get over it. I mean, we've talked about Overwatch a couple of times with award shows. and it, I mean, it's been named Game of the Year all over the place, so... Yeah, yeah, hardly uh, anything new. And you have a couple other awards on your list, don't you? Yeah, there's a couple other awards. Um, the Pioneer Award was given to Jordan Mechner. Uh, it says he's the Prince of Persia creator. Mm-hmm. 
And then the Ambassador Award uh, was given to Mark Delura. It says, formerly of Nintendo, Sony, THQ, and Ubisoft. And then the last one, the Lifetime Achievement Award, Tim Sweeney, the founder of Epic Games. Yeah, I don't really have any complaints about any of those. Yeah. What is... What's up? I'm going to go see if the Pioneer and the Ambassador Award are listed on there. Just <laughs> Yep, Pioneer Award. Known as the first Penguin Award until 2007, the Pioneer Award celebrates individuals who developed a breathtaking new technology, game concept, or gameplay design. Uh, previous winners include uh, Notch, uh, David Braben, the creator of the Elite series, uh, Gaben... Gaben, my lord and saver. I don't see John Carmack on here. I can't believe John Carmack's not on this list. Hmm. He's not, though. What, no Peter Molyneux? No. Peter Molyneux's <laughs> not there either. I recognize a fair amount of these names, but some of them yeah. I don't recognize either. Uh, and then the Ambassador Award is given to individuals within or outside the industry who helped video games advance to a better place, in quotation marks. It replaced the award for community contribution after 2008. Because, you know, the community wasn't contributing anything anymore. Huh. Anita Sarkeesian won it in 2013. Mm. Uh, I think I won't say anything there. And then Lifetime Achievement Award makes sense. The Audience Award... These awards are voted by the audience for best game of the year. Oh, the audience winner for 2016 was, or this past year, Battlefield 1. Hmm. Oh, KSP won in 2013. I didn't know that. Cool. This is really interesting. I mean, it's just a list on Wikipedia. I should probably... (laughs) Let me drop this in the show notes underneath the GDC awards so that if people want to go explore the categories more fully, they can. There you go. Cool. So that's that. Um, See, you wanted to skip this. I, yeah. Actually, no. (laughs) I just didn't think to put it on the list. Like I said, I didn't earlier. I didn't get a lot of time to to work on this today. I mean, I could have. I could have taken some time, but I was really busy. And uh, the little bit of time that I did take today to relax was to play like a half an hour of KSP. Uh, so and anyways, of course, having your turret fusion. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to community corner. Do you want to do the community oh corner stuff first? Uh, the tweets, and then Kyle's special audio letter, or let's go ahead and bring in Kyle. Okay. So Kyle sent us a rather lengthy, uh, in-depth review of Civ Six. And uh, it was so good, it gets its own little sub. Um, what would what are what is this called in the numbered list, where you go down and tab it over and it, it gets a an A. A, a sub. Uh, a Fonzie. Sure. A. A. <laughs> Actually, I'm I like I'm gonna use that for from the rest of forever now. Kyle got a Fonzie. <laughs> So, uh, here's Kyle. He's going to do a review of six, Civ Six for us. Greetings at VGL Community. This is Kyle, and today I'm coming at you with a review of Civilization Six. Now, I know Civ Six came out at 
the end of last year, but at the time it came out, I didn't have enough game time hours to feel comfortable reviewing such a complex game. Now that I'm at the triple-digit mark for gameplay hours, I feel comfortable discussing, well, if the game is worth a buy, what it's about, and all the positives and negatives that come with my opinion. So starting off, what even is Civilization VI? It's the latest in the Civilization series of games, which themselves are a turn-based strategy game, where you lead an empire from the very early days of the Stone Age, around 4000 BC, up into about the year 2050 AD. And the idea here is to balance out your research, your culture, your military, and your production to essentially become best Civ. The thing I like about this is there's no real one victory condition to rule them all. While one of the victory conditions is to actually rule them all through a military victory, there's also the idea of a scientific victory, where your scientific prowess allows you to settle Mars in this case, which triggers you to win the game. You could also have the best culture, where people are more interested in your culture than they are in their home culture. And there's also a religion victory, which I don't like, and we'll get into that later in this review. Then there's also the score-based victory, which is if you can't pull off any of the other four victories, it's just who is best Civ at the year 2050. So let's get into a couple of my positive points about the game. Number one is the way that they handled the military. See, in a grand strategy game like Civilization VI, it would be very easy for it to just be a military-focused, well, the world domination simulator. They avoid this by making the military actually have an upkeep cost, you need to upgrade your units once new technology comes around, so essentially it kind of limits how big your army can be to how well your economy is doing at that particular time. Not to mention, the game has a tile-based map, which means that the map is broken up into a hexagonal grid. Now on each of these grid spaces, there can only be one unit per class per tile. And what this means is, each individual unit's strength and weakness against other units on the battlefield becomes much more pronounced and means you actually have to think about the composition of your army. Do you go for more of a mobile striking tactic, like uh, cavalry units that'll just run in, wreck shit, and run back out, but don't really have a whole lot of staying power to take cities? Or do you focus on ranged units to try and keep people away from your cities? Or do you just build up the biggest number of melee units you can to steamroll the other people's cities? These are the kind of decisions that would set this game above a lot of other games in the genre. However, with Civilization VI came the addition of military support units. Support units are new to the Civilization franchise. Now, these are military units, but they're not really military units. The idea is they're stapled to actual military units to help specialize the actual military unit. For example, walls are one of the most critical technologies in the early game. Once you get walls, you're able to have your cities fire upon invaders or barbarians or whoever you damn well please. Now, walls also add an extra layer of city defense, and one of your first ways around that is a battering ram. Now, the battering ram can't actually attack or defend, but if you have the battering ram hang around with, say, your swordsmen, not only does it help out the swordsmen who they are attached to, it helps out the swordsmen on any tile that is one tile away from it, making city sieges a lot less, well, lengthy. Which is good, and it also adds a degree of speciality to each unit in the battlefield. But focusing strictly on the military aspect of Civilization VI would be doing it a great disservice. It also improved the way that cities behaved over other games. You see, in old Civilization games, each city only took up one tile, and with very little exception, you could build whatever the hell you damn well pleased. 
yeah, there were a couple of buildings that needed very specific locations. For example, the Great Lighthouse had to be built on a city on the coast for obvious reasons, and an observatory needed to be built uh, in a city that was neighboring a mountain so that you could get above the lights. But Civilization VI actually took the idea of urban sprawl and ran with it, and the result is absolutely fantastic. In Civ VI, you can no longer basically just build every kind of building in one tile in your city center. City sprawl has become, well, a major aspect of gameplay in the form of districts. Now, each city has a limit on how many districts it can build based on the population of the city. For example, a population size 2 city can't really build any districts because it doesn't have enough people to start spreading out. Now, districts are really interesting because you can only build one of each district in a city with very few exceptions, and each district, once placed, cannot be torn up. So let's say you have a city on the edge of your empire that you would really like it to start working on research. So you want to unlock the research buildings by building a campus district, because if you don't, you can't build your library, your university, or your research lab. But being on the edge of your empire, it's consistently attacked by barbarians. So maybe you forego the library on this time around, and you build the encampment district, which will help you build more military units to defend your territory. And it's choices like this which really force cities to take on a much more strategic aspect. This, coupled with the fixing of the builder system, makes Civilization VI's cities much more meaningful than any other city system in any Civilization game before this. The great thing about the way the new city system works is the fact that it is so well-balanced for both new players and more experienced players. See, there's a lot of complicated ideas going on here, like adjacency bonuses, how much land you want to dedicate to districts versus farms and mines and other things that help your city run. But at the same time, I mean, a new player, you're not going to really shoot yourself in the foot with very few exceptions if you kind of screw up your city planning. However, a more experienced player who knows the more minutia-focused details of how cities work is going to be rewarded for knowing such things. And this carries over into the culture aspect, which isn't really changed from Civilization V Brave New World, but it really didn't have to be. The culture aspect is broken down into two different numbers. The amount of culture that you generate per turn, that's, think of it as a defensive number, and the amount of tourism you generate per turn, think of that as an offensive number. What you want is you want to have more tourism than other people have culture. And that's how you achieve a culture win. Now, again, you're not really going to shoot yourself in the foot if you don't know all of the minutia for pairing and theming for museums and other things. But at the same time, players who do know this and take the time to learn these systems will be greatly rewarded with a much better output for their tourism and culture rates. And like I said, it's still basically the one from Civ Five Brave New World. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. And Firaxis definitely listened to that. However, one thing from Civ V, which I'm not sure was necessarily broken, but they tried to fix it anyways, was the new city-state diplomacy system. See, in Civilization V, you could basically pay your way to the top, and it was sort of a pseudo-economic way to win, because the more influence you had with city-states, the more votes you would eventually get in what was the World Congress or the United Nations, depending on what era you were playing in Brave New World. In Civilization VI, they kind of went an entirely different direction with it. The city-states in Civ VI don't really allow you to buy your way to the top or spy your way to the top like they did in Civ V. As a side note, 
Civilization VI is probably the first Civilization game that I've played where espionage hasn't really felt like an afterthought, and it feels like an actual critical gameplay component that, if ignored, can really negatively impact you in the late game. But getting back to the city-states, the new system is Envoys. You get Envoys for winning battles, for helping out city-states with some of their quests, for trading with them, and for just researching different cultural texts. Now that's pretty cool because it means that somebody can't swoop in and basically take a city-state from you if they have enough money, but it also makes city-states much less impactful in the overall game. See, Civ VI city-states are in the same flavors that they always were, commercial, religious, cultural, scientific, and military. But their bonuses, while pretty cool, don't really have a meaty and tangible impact on gameplay unless you go to war, and I'm still very much on the fence. I mean, yeah, it's kind of different, but at the same time, the implemented change in the way that city-states work really added to probably one of my least favorite aspects of Civilization VI, and that's the new religion system. Now, if you listen to the VGL Awards, this is going to come as no shock to you that I'm not a fan of the religion system in Civilization VI. So my big problems with it are it's based on an economy of faith, and it's very hard to maintain both a religious center that can actually spread out around the world, because as you get farther and farther away from your home cities, it becomes harder and harder to hold on to your religious, well, territory, I guess is the best way to put it. And the more resources you're going to have to devote to making these units that are starting to have diminishing returns. And it really kind of puts you towards a military slant if you want to have an actual shot at doing this. But at the same time, it kind of mirrors real-world religion, so I get what they were going for, but I think this was more of a miss than a hit. So my closing thoughts are these. I mean, I would definitely give it a very solid recommendation. The good that's there definitely outweighs the bad, and who knows, maybe the things that I don't like are things that you can actually tolerate and maybe even enjoy. But it is still a $60 game, and if you want to wait for the price to come down on a sale or something, I completely understand that, because strategy is not everybody's bag, but eh, this one actually might be a pretty good introduction into the genre for you. Anyways, I've been Kyle. Hope y'all are having a good night. All right, thank you very much, Kyle, for your in-depth review of Civ 6. For some reason, I'm struggling to say Civ 6. <laughs> um, before we, we move on to the probably little bit of discussion we're going to have, but neither Rage nor I have played Civ 6, um, I'm going to put this on my YouTube channel as a separate thing, if you're okay with it. Obviously, it'll be included as part of the podcast, but... I'm going to ask your permission since obviously a lot of time went into this, both playing the game, and I know how long it can take to write reviews and record them and edit them. So You just want that sweet, sweet ad revenue. Yeah, the, like the one cent that I might get if I'm lucky. Please, you'll get a dickhole. Kyle's uh, actually quality, unlike us. <laughs> oh, you sell yourself short, my good man. Um, but anyway, so yeah, what, uh, what discussion are we going to have? Well... Uh, Civ Six. I'm still in a wait and see period about it. I'm a little leery about how they handled the cities, and it's one of those things that I don't think I'll know how I feel about it until I actually play it. And I'm a cheapskate, <laughs> quite yeah. simply. So I don't want to dive in for a full price game that I'm really, really not sure about. Yeah, I mean, I I love the Civ series. Like I, I've played all of them except for the original Civilization. Uh, but 
I never buy them brand new. I always buy them on sale, and I usually pick up the full version of the last one that released. So I might yeah, not see, actually I'm, play Civ Six until Civ Seven comes out. Yeah, see, I'm more of a Johnny Come Lately. I played Civ Four, Five, and well, the expansions for Five. Well, technically the expansions for Four as well because I got a complete pack there. And I think for Civ Six, it's going to be more. I want to see what they do expansion wise because right now they're on the DLC phase of it where. They're, they just had the Australian uh, uh, DLC release, which caught a lot of people by surprise. I don't think anyone saw Australia coming. Yeah, I don't think anyone did either. But probably, I mean, Civ Six sounds really good. Um, Kyle, your review actually sold me on the game. I, I hadn't went to look anything up really outside of most people's initial reactions to the game. Uh, I just kind of filed it away under, well, this is a Civ game. I'll probably like it. I'll probably buy it later on down the line, but you're actually making me consider buying it sooner than I would have, but I still will probably wait until there's some more expansions for it because a, a new Civ game is, you know, is good, but it's always better after the first couple of expansions. So, and they will inevitably do a bundle and the bundle will be the same price as the game when it launched and you'll get it and all the expansion content. So, that's probably what I'll do in maybe another six, eight months, a year. Depends on how many expansions they're going to release for it and when they're slotted to come out. Yeah, well, right now they're still in the DLC uh, season pass phase, essentially. Yeah. For probably the better part of a year. I'm, I would be surprised to see an expansion before the end of the year. Yeah. Just because of how the DLC is going to work. And that in. Civ 6 did launch as a more complete title, which, boy, that sounds like I'm damning with fake praise. <laughs> yeah. But Civ 5 had the problem of releasing without major features that Civ 4 had. And granted, they're not as deep as they could be with Civ 6. You're not really losing anything going from Civ 5 to Civ 6, at least major feature-wise. Granted, they are a little shallower. Yeah. But they're still there. Yeah. I've talked about uh, getting Katie a copy of Civ Five and me finally buying all of the expansion stuff for it. And then we can play that together. Because uh, we've been playing Wildstar a little bit here and there together over the last few yeah. weeks. Oh, there's a thing with Wildstar in a couple of days that you're going to want to do. They're releasing a, uh, the expansion for it. Yeah. If you log in between the 8th and the 12th, you get a level 50 character boost. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. Yeah, I saw that just before uh, we started recording. Set a uh, reminder for it as well. Between the 8th and the 12th, you said? Yep. Cool. I'll do that. I'll be sure to have Katie do that, too. Right. She might, she'll probably use the 50 character by herself, and I'll probably make a new character and use it. Well, I'm pretty sure it's a new character. Oh, okay. Well, then yeah. But still. I'll have to do that. Thanks for letting me know. I would have totally missed it. Uh, but yeah, I don't really have anything else to say about Civ Six at this point. Yeah, it's still very much way and see, mostly because I'm unsure about just, you know, some of the mechanics on it. And that's the thing. Uh, Kyle could tell me all about, you know, how the city building uh, works. But until I know how it feels for me... I really, you know, can't do anything. Yeah. 
I like the concept of it, but I do agree it yeah. might suck in practice. Yeah, based on least, my personal yeah. play style. Or at least until you spend a lot of time with it. And the thing is that I typically don't spend a huge amount of time with any particular game unless I'm actively recording it these days. Yeah. So, you know, I may not be able to invest enough time to really get past the hurdle and it becomes more of an obstacle than a feature for me. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, do you want to moving wanna... swiftly along to the question of the week? Yep. Okay. Question of the week. Uh, this is uh, referencing what we talked about uh, during, uh, if my heart had wings for the game club, when was the last time you felt like you really connected with or understood a video game character? Kyle said, hmm, I would uh, say I connected most with Yurok uh, Rex, a good leader, uh, fights the good fight, has a deep, sexy, baritone voice. Rex from okay. Mass Effect? Yeah, uh, that's uh, what I uh, uh, not took Rex? it away from. Yeah. Okay, that's what, I, that's what I thought you said. I haven't read the the tweet, or the tweets. And then Groove, one month ago, Geralt and Witcher 3. And then we had uh, the question from last week when Jim uh, chimed in, <laughs> because I guess he's catching up. Yeah, I guess. Or uh, Jim was uh, caught in some sort of time bubble and uh, skipped a week or something. Uh, but Jim t- chimed in with his favorite side uh, quest. Um, yeah, why not? We'll throw that in here. His favorite side quest is the crew side quest from Mass Effect 2, which I'm not sure if I count because... To me, side quests always had really no impact on the story. Um, and the side quests in Mass Effect 2 have quite the impact. Yeah, uh, but for the clue. they it, they do, but they do have some there's some very well done side quests uh, well, that well, add a lot. I'm not sure I'm not sure if that I I count them as side quests. It is possible to win the game without doing any of the side quests, but you get a much better ending for doing them. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, that's mean, I guess that's up to your personal. Kind of blurred. Yeah, I guess it's up to your personal interpretation, but I'll allow it. I love Mass Effect and all the quests. So okay, so tweets. We had so many tw- uh, plain puns from the announcement for uh, uh, if my heart had wings. Well, the game club. Can I can I stop you and and have you answer the question of the week? Besides, or before No Man's, or not No Man's Sky, gosh, we've talked too much about it. Before If My Heart Had Wings, uh, what was the oh, last game with the character you connected with? I would have to really sit down and think about that. Uh, uh, that's why I didn't really uh, think about it, was the, uh, uh, If My Heart Had Wings. Right. Well, I can pretty quickly identify that. Um, in uh, the Walking Dead Telltale game, the mm-hmm. first one. I I cried at the end of that game when you have to make the final choice because I was so connected to that group of characters and I was like, no, oh no. See, I never finished it. I I just got tired of it. Yeah. I I never felt invested with it. Yeah, I felt really invested, connected with and, the characters. And the thing is, it wasn't even because of the uh, the episodic nature of it because I was playing them back to back. I had the complete season. Yeah, I did too. Maybe it's just the fact that I didn't really care for The Walking Dead. Uh, you know, was it, I was playing it as an outsider. Yeah, I was already pretty heavily invested in The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead has since lost me as a series, most at least on the TV show front, because it just drags for so long. But 
at that time I was a new Walking Dead fan uh, and was invested in the TV show and just getting into the comic series. So I was hooked pretty quickly on the game. Katie made fun of me too. That was the first time she made fun of me for <laughs> for getting really connected to something. Because I was crying. She was like, "They're video game characters." I was like, "I know, but the story, and I'm so connected, and I feel I'm I'm with him." And I wasn't. I was still an undergrad. We were still an undergrad at that. Right? Yeah, yeah. We because we got married before we graduated from undergrad. So that was our first year when we were living in our crappy little apartment. I was laying on the the crappy old couch we had, just crying. Like, oh. She made fun of me. She understands better now, and she probably would still make fun of me, but more just to be mean to me. Katie, make fun of you? No. More just to pick on me and be kind of mean to me instead of like, I don't understand this. You're dumb. That's the thing is that uh, people really discount video game stories because, oh, it's just a stupid video game, but there are intense stories there. Yeah. I mean, because they're interactive doesn't mean that they're less intense. Yeah. And I've definitely changed her mind over the years on that because we played a lot of WoW when we were were dating. Uh, mm-hmm. But before that, her most of her gaming experience was like her her parents had a Wii that they would play Mario Kart on sometimes. I mean, her dad's a PC gamer, but you know that was what he did when he had free time. So, but she's she's come a long way since then. I've done a good job. The one indoctrinated her. That's the one thing I've done right. I indoctrinated her. <laughs> I can live with that. Anyways, you, we can we can move on. I just was curious what your previous one was, yeah. but yeah, no, I would have to sit down and think about it because there are moments that you know I uh, got emotional, like the end of uh, uh, Brothers of Tale Two Sons, but it wasn't. Uh, yeah, a connection with them. Yeah, it was more of the sad experience. Yeah, which is why I didn't go for. Um, I've already forgotten it. Game club game. Uh, making the old man to the moon. Yeah, I was drawing yeah. a blank for a second, but like the connection I felt to that was more of the experience as a whole, not specifically that one character. Yeah, that's why I would have to really sit down and think about it. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, we can we can carry on now. Oh, we've been carrying on for a while. Yeah, fair play. Okay, so we had a lot of plane puns due to if my heart had wings from Kyle and Ghost Shark. But I have to admit that none of them really took off with me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they were kind of a kind of a crash landing, really. Crash and burn. They came up short. Yeah. We're going to have to go look for the black box to find out what happened. Okay, and let's see. We had uh, uh, really the only other tweets that I noticed. I may have missed a couple. Uh, I hope I did because, you know, once again, you know, not a lot of activity on the Twitter. Uh, EGL podcast on Twitter, by the way. Uh, we had on the game club announcement uh, where we uh, announced that the Electoral College had deemed uh, Factorio uh, ineligible due to outside meddling. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the Electoral College is there to 
uh, bet the uh, game club. Yeah, that's its intended purpose. <laughs> when it does what yeah. it's supposed to, you get uh, good results. But when it doesn't do what it's supposed to, you get Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, and Kyle said, Haha, I'm glad my walking tour of uh, Wi-Fi didn't alter history. Or did it? That's my addition to it. Because, yeah, we're not doing a poll. Yep. And Kimbus uh, chimed in next time. I'll just macro a, a router address and release it and put in a thousand votes to make sure Kyle doesn't mess with it. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be cool. Hashtag not my game club. <laughs> fair enough. It's not changing uh, anything, but fair enough. Yeah. And if you wish to contribute to the badness, you get to email us vglpodcast at gmail.com or on our Twitter, vglpodcast. And the question of the week does go up on uh, VGL Podcast uh, sometime in the afternoon or evening on Fridays. Usually I read the bicep a little bit. Indeed. Okay. Well, is that is that everything before I... Yeah, that's everything. Okay. Well, that's everything for this section of the podcast. We're going to move to... Our discovery queue, which is n- until we receive many complaints, and even then, <laughs> in the face of that, uh, this is our new show section that has replaced uh, the Steam. Yeah, Weekly it allows deals. us to talk about random games, sometimes new, sometimes old. Yep, sometimes good, mostly bad. Well, let's put it this way: I could uh, I, you look at your discovery queue, and you see the uh, uh, the icons. Bon, uh for the last week has had a giant Jolly Roger and I've been wanting to click the button. <laughs> nice. Okay, so let's click the button. Let's explore our discovery queue. And let's see, my first one is Black Wake. A uh, naval uh, FPS. I had that one last week. Yeah, it looks interesting. It looks uh, a lot like... Uh, Air Buccaneers slash uh, Guns of Icarus. Mm-hmm. Huh. I didn't even know this was a game. Middle Earth Shadow of War. Uh, this is for a uh, a pre-order, pre-purchase, so definitely not going to buy it, but it looks like yeah, it's coming out Black soon. On the list. Coming out soon? Ish. Soon-ish. There's a few people playing it, so I'm assuming that it's reviewers, people that have early copies. Yeah, because uh, well, I got Middle Earth Shadow of War, the follow up to Shadow of Mordor, which uh, it's kind of funny. I I thought you were supposed to have you know screenshots, yeah, on the Steam Store page. Yeah. What is this? Moving quickly along. Yeah, it doesn't look any good. Let's skip that one. Weapon Shop Fantasy. Oh, boy. A shop game with an RPG, or is an RPG game with a shop? Collect materials, craft weapons, train your staff, defeat your enemy. This is Weapon Shop Fantasy. This looks terrible. (laughs) Is it in English? Does it have an English translation? I'm not getting the warning from Steam, but I don't see anywhere that it says that the game is actually in English. And all the screenshots are in, I assume, Japanese. It might be Chinese or something. Okay, here's one for you. 
Uh, and this is actually on your wish list. Go, go, Nippon, my first trip to Japan. Yeah, I've got that on there. On my wish list. Yeah, which, it's essentially a travel guide uh, for Japan as a visual novel. It's an interesting idea. And it's highly rated, so there you go. Oh, this is terrible. Spooky's Jump Scare Mansion HD Renovation. Yeah, I've seen that. Not interested. <laughs> Let's see, move past a couple of games that look like, well, that are not interesting at all. Oracle. Ah, I'm getting first, a couple of visual novels that just look terrible. First person exploration game. That looks really pretty. Uh, adventure indie casual simulation story rich. I'm getting a lot of terrible visual novels. And this is cheap, too. $1.50. I'm going to put this one on the list. Sell some of those trading cards really quickly. I might buy this. <laughs> I, it it looks nice. Really good visuals. Good aesthetic. Uh, it's very cheap. So even if you uh, only get like an hour of enjoyment out of it, going and look at all the pretty sights, I think that's worth it. Yeah, my last one on my queue actually looks somewhat interesting. For the King, weave your own unique tales in a challenging single-player or cooperative RPG adventure that spans across the realms. It's an early access game, so yeah, that is a mark against it. It is on your wish list, though. I don't remember that game being on my wish list. Let me go look at it real quickly. Can, can you really uh, uh, remember half your wish list? I remember lots of games that are on my wish list, actually. Uh, according to this, oh, okay. they're expected to be in early access for about six months, give or take a few months. So this should be late beta. At least in theory. It doesn't look bad. It's all going to be uh, around you know, just how balanced it is. Yeah. It has a... Vi it, where it's a hex grid, it feels a lot like Civ, even though it's a completely different genre. Yeah. Stupid Raft Battle Simulator. Oh, God. Stupid Raft Battle Simulator is a physics-based simulator game set during the golden age of piracy. Your goal is to defeat your opponent by eliminating all enemy units on the battlefield. This really does look kind of stupid. So Does it have a raft? There are quite a few rafts. Some well, actual some actual boats as well. Very small, like paddle boats. It's, eh, I don't know how I feel about this one. <laughs> I think that fact means I should put it on the list for people to go check out, and make their own decision. Whoops, that's mail hey. notes. Hey, be thankful I skipped uh, all the uh, crappy looking visual novels. <laughs> Yeah, I've skipped a few, quite a few games on my list. I'm almost done with mine. I think I have one well, more I'm game done left. With mine. Okay. Yeah, whenever you have a visual novel that has no shading on the uh, art at all, so it all looks flat. Yeah. I mean, granted, the story may be good, but you know, uh, you're not selling me on the art. Huh. My world, where action RPGs begin. Fill your world with savage skeletons, tricky turrets, and towering bosses. Choice is yours. Play, create, and share co-op and PvP adventures online, or be inspired with our built-in realms. This looks like, um, what was it called? Microsoft's... It's 
it's done now, but it was in beta for a long time. Silver. I'm blanking on what you're talking about. No, that's not it. Or explain to me what it was. It was a it was a game, and it was free for a long time in beta on Xbox Live, and it was um an RPG game, but it was really a creation engine. Um, and you it had tools to quickly, Project Spark. Pro, yeah, Project Spark. That's it. This reminds me of Project Spark. Yeah, it Project Spark launched, and they didn't say a damn thing about it. <laughs> yeah. And my reaction whenever it was announced that it was shutting down was, that released? This game will be available in 10 days. It's available on March 17th. It is going to, air quotes, launch into early access. So Yeah, now the real question is just how many people are going to play it. Because uh, for player-created stuff, that's really the crux of it. You know, can they get enough people? Yeah. My world, one word. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page for Project Spark, and yeah, they just, it didn't last long. Nope. All right, that's my whole list. I put that yeah, one on my wish my list. list as well. So, uh, a couple interesting ones. Yeah, this uh, so far has had the most interesting ones. We each got three. So so far, through the six games recommended total is uh, the most we've had so far. That's a quarter. Yeah, that's a quarter of of the games that we found. Well, yeah, maybe... granted, I skipped a lot of really crappy visual novels this time around. Oh, I just had a lot of crappy games in general from several different genres, but a few interesting ones. Okay, well that means it's time for us to move to the closing portion of the show where we talk about our stuff. And this part, I always go first. Uh, so for me on my YouTube channel, uh, well, this is going to be episode or the podcast, first podcast episode that releases while Katie and King are gone. So hopefully next week, uh, my, uh, get to know you series is going to be up. I actually managed to record three episodes of it. Uh, I currently have six planned episodes and a couple of ideas for a couple more. Um, but we'll see on that, but hopefully I'll get that up next week and you guys can go through that and experience a part of my life, which hopefully will be fun. I've enjoyed making the ones that I have made. Uh, they're completely off the cuff, but the quality on them is actually really high. Cause I've gotten really good at just talking after doing this for over really? a year. So it's pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I mean, you can tell it's not scripted, I think, but at the same time, it's really I, I didn't have to make very many edits. Let's say that. I didn't have very many silences or pauses. So I've had fun making them. Uh, also, there's been a lot of stream videos that I scheduled. Uh, old, I should say, archive. or Not not super old, but from the last couple of months. Uh, streams that have gone up on my channel. <laughs> many of them are getting copyright strikes. So fun, <laughs> fun times there. Every time one of them goes live, I'll get an email. You've been hit with a copyright strike by whatever. I'm like, nah, screw you guys. So there's some of that. I wonder um, how many of uh, you got on that one for honor that I just started playing music on you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to go check later. 
I just couldn't help myself. Uh, I remembered, hmm, Star Trek Battle Music. That would sound fun. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. Uh, and then I'm going to be doing a lot of editing on Divinity and other stuff that we've done. Uh, and getting those posted, but that won't be next week. That'll probably be the next week. So I'll talk more about those next week, I guess. So yeah, that's it for the YouTubes. If you want to go watch all that stuff, you can do so uh, at where by searching for gaming psychologist on YouTube. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, where I tweet about all kinds of random things, politics, job related stuff, a few random tweets here and there, you can do so at JMA four seven zero seven. If you want to watch me stream games on Twitch, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. And uh, if you want to be my friend on Steam, my Steam username is jarthur4707. I accept all friend requests and talk to you people a lot. So far, everybody's been cool. And if you wish to let them know exactly what episode you're coming from, the passphrase for this week is half Baked. <laughs> nice. Half baked. Um. So, real. Also, one other thing. Uh, that guy responded to my DM, and we had a quick little chat in the middle of recording. And I figured now was the right time to put it up. All right. Uh, he's he wants to do a guest spot on the show. Uh, but he asked what we would talk about, and I said I had no idea I was going to talk to Hugh <laughs> and let him know. Um, and then he's going to do some Twitter cross-promotion with us, which I told him we'd work out later, too, because we were in the middle of recording this week's podcast. So just so that you guys are aware, we're going to have another guest, and this time they approached us. Uh, his story is that he uh, sent us his little cross-promotion thing, on the wrong Twitter account, so he deleted it, and he was going to do it for his site's uh, podcast's official Twitter, and he hadn't got around to doing it. Oh, good. I wasn't hallucinating that. Yeah. So. We'll, uh, probably more details in next week's episode. I don't know Granted, if we'll be able to organize something That's sitting on my desk is starting to dance around, so maybe I should lower the dosage of the caffeine I'm tanking in. <laughs> Might be a good idea. So. Oh, wait, it's not the gnome dancing around. It's uh, uh, just uh, my head's vibrating a little bit. <laughs> so what does it feel like when your heart's about to explode? Uh, well, it feels like your heart's about to explode. I think you would know that feeling. Uh, give me a few seconds. <laughs> it's a weird feeling when your heart goes all crazy. I had a uh, story time. Um, I had a, a, when I was in high school, I had a really, really, really way over expensive but nice sound system in my car at the time. Um, and the bass on it was so strong that I could actually play certain songs and it would affect my heartbeat. Uh, and like you could, people that could, doesn't seem like a healthy thing. No, it wasn't. People could sit in the car and they could feel their heart flutter and do weird things when you play certain music. And I, you know, I was a dumb teenager. I thought it was fun. And then one time my heart didn't go back to normal for a while. Whoops. And that was the last time I ever did that. that. That's when you get back in the car and start playing dubstep to try to restart your heart. <laughs> bub, 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 bub. Dubstep was not a thing, I don't think, at the time. When did dubstep? Let's go back to Wikipedia. 
<laughs> the VGL podcast powered by Wikipedia. Okay, dubstep was a thing back then. It just wasn't really big. Uh, dubstep <laughs> didn't become common and popular until the late 2000s, early 2010s. So, this would have been in the mid-2000s when dubstep was still pretty uh, pretty much a niche genre. And I was not very much into niche music when I was in high school. I was pretty big into punk rock and classic rock and metal. And Heartstopper. And disco. I really like disco. I still <laughs> like disco. You know, this explains a few things about you. <laughs> Oh, anyways, uh, knew it. You can uh, you can have your turn now. Uh well, outside of not having a Sunday, well, uh, I didn't have the Sunday sampler this week just because uh, just felt bad on recording Saturday, uh, and that's why I don't have the uh, filler content for Divinity Original Sim because yeah, I just well, I was in a bad mood and just wasn't fun at least for me you seem to enjoy it i had fun like i said i always have fun with you yeah i just it wasn't good videos for me and i decided uh you know to actually have a, a quality filter on my channel for once <laughs> and just drop the videos so it's going to be a light week for me i still have uh uh, grow up, which I uh, just uploaded the uh, couple, well, uh, the second video for that uh, for the week, and, and I do think I'm starting to wrap that up, which means that I'm gonna have to start doing recording testing on the next project I have in mind, which was uh, given to me by Kyle, and I think I might know what I'm gonna do after that, assuming I could get it to work. And let's just put it this way. I'll give you a hint. Jared will be very interested to see me play this. You're going to play Factorio? No. No, because I'd like to, the series to actually end at some point. <laughs> what game? I already have one endless series. Did you tell me what game it is? or No. Okay. I didn't think you did, but I was going to make sure I hadn't forgotten it. <laughs> No, this is something I decided on. It's like, huh, if I could get this to work. What's a game that I would be interested in you playing? Can you can you tell me why I would be interested in you playing it? And then I can make a guess. Oh, okay. Let's put it this way. It's a very old game. At least by this point. Very old game by this point. Is it KOTOR 2? No. Oh, we talked about that the other day, so... So that popped in my head. No, no, this is something we haven't talked about me playing at all. Oh, okay. So that really opens it up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A lot of possibilities there. Um. Yeah. Just let's put, let's put it this way. If my recording tests for it work out, uh, it's going to be something that I think you'll love to see me play, and me just probably be terrible at it because. A lot of old design choices in it. Yeah, things that have been, um, well, things that have been evolved. Okay. 
Yeah, there's a lot of games that fit that bill. <laughs> yeah, without without some more specific hints, I probably wouldn't get it outside of just a really lucky guess. So Okay, okay, let's put it this way. We've talked about it indirectly within the last month on the podcast. Oh gosh. That's still a pretty big list. <laughs> I've narrowed it down though. Is it from a console? Like is this an emulated title? This is not emulated. Okay. And I, I'll narrow it down even more. As far as I know, this is not available digitally. So I will be acquiring this. Not available digitally. Are the old Command and Conquer games available? Not available digitally? Uh, I know at least a couple of them are, but no. Oh. Now I'm bugging with this. I'm Sorry. racking my brain. <laughs> Thinking about old games that we talked about. We haven't talked about this game directly. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> well, I'm going to be in the testing phase for it and what Kyle sent me. And since I'm torturing you, maybe I'll move uh, this up. I don't know. It all depends on what uh, if uh, my next game from Kyle, uh, how it records, because I haven't tested it at all. Right. And I may okay. have to ask Kyle to see if I can put you out of your misery. <laughs> ask Kyle what? If you can share? If I can bump up uh, the game that I'm torturing you with. Oh, okay. Assuming that it works, because I haven't tested it yet. I don't even know if it does work on uh, Windows 10. So there's a, another possible hint for you. It's that old. Is it the Homeworld series? The old, like the actual original games instead of the remastered one? No. Uh, I'm enjoying torturing you. I have way too much fun with this. Is it one of the old Star Wars games? Um, no. Okay. Do you have any other guesses? I don't know. I'll keep thinking about it. <laughs> Go ahead and carry on with your stuff. And I'll just uh, drive you even crazier. I've said part of the, t the title of the game in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> You're evil. <laughs> exactly. Now you're going to, in the editing of this, you're going to be going back and forth and listening to what I said to try to piece it out. I'll actually stop to thoroughly listen to this past, <laughs> this section and try and figure it out. You might get a tweet or a text from me that's like, was it this game? Actually, you might get a lot of those. <laughs> oh, I love being evil at times. Uh, and if you wish to see me be evil to Jared in the next probably few weeks, depending on, I, I may have to uh, ask Kyle if I could bump this up just to, you know, torture you less. Maybe. Maybe. You can find me over at Gaming with Caffeine Rage, where I have three Let's Play series. Well, usually, not this week, though, unfortunately. The Sunday Sampler, once again, not, well, not this past week, because, well, it depends on when you consider the week starting, because, you know, Sunday, eh. Some people consider the start of the week Monday. 
Not sure why you'd want to start on Monday, but yeah, there you go. And of course, the podcast shows up there Fridays, as well as its RSS feed, and as, as well as on Jared's channel. And you can catch me tweeting over at GameUFCR, where I tweet somewhat randomly, and sometimes it's even funny. Rarely, though. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, wrapping up. Uh, if you wish to contact us, once again, our email is vglpodcast at gmail.com, where you can send us your text letters, your voicemails, or your gaming-related topics. Or you can just tweet us, vglpodcast, on Twitter. If you wish to help pay for this madness, our Patreon is patreon.com slash vglpodcast, and that pays for our RSS feed, which is vglpodcast.podbean.com, which it also appears on iTunes and Google Play, assuming Google Play is up, actually updated. Did you check that, by the way? Um, I haven't responded to their email where they were like, no, we fixed it. And I'm like, no. Well, I responded to that, and I said, no, it's not fixed. And they said, all right, we need some to see where what it's doing. And then I haven't responded to that with anything yet. (laughs) Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod, and you can find his work at Computech.com. And as always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice, poor boy now. Oh, I love torturing Jared. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!